1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, a very interesting Republican primary debate for governor. Uh, You know, here in New York State, we have, and I know we have listeners all over the country, all over the world, but the bottom line is, just as I indicated when we analyzed the Democratic primary debate for governor, what happens in New York affects the whole country. And what happens in New York actually affects the whole world. So I do think whoever wins the Democratic primary for governor probably has a significant advantage in the general election. But uh, we do have a lot of listeners that are registered Republicans in New York State and are going to be voting in the Republican primary on June 28th. So I, I thought it might be fun to look into what happened in this first televised Republican primary debate for governor. Uh, for those of you that uh, that watched it and you want to offer your two cents, I'd love to hear from you, 800-848-WABC. I'm going to play the audio in just a second, but uh, I'll give you my impressions off the bat. I, it was only an hour, right? So, again, this was a debate where Andrew Giuliani was forced to not participate on stage with everybody He was in a remote location because he's not vaccinated. Now, I really don't understand at this point why you wouldn't be vaccinated. I said this. I mean, it's less of an issue now, but at the height of the vax hysteria, while it was so inconvenient to go to restaurants and bars and I was having to smuggle people into restaurants and bars because they were unvaccinated. All I was saying to people at the time was, look. 80% 80% of the country is vaccinated. Clearly, people aren't growing second heads and third arms. Just get vaccinated. Save yourself and everybody else the aggravation. So if I was Andrew, I would go and get vaccinated. But the bottom line is, it's his body, his choice. If he doesn't want to get vaccinated, he's had COVID twice already. He has the antibodies. And he's you know healthy. He's not at an age where you're really targeted for that kind of thing. Who's to tell him he should get vaccinated? And to me... The other candidates weren't objecting to his participation. I think the whole thing is just silly. I think the whole thing was just theater, in my judgment. He should have been able to participate on the stage. And I think the fact that he was in a different room did sort of, I don't know, it did hurt him a little bit. In terms of there were a couple of comments, there were a couple of occasions where he tried to rise above the fray of two candidates that were bickering the entire time. And I think the fact that he wasn't there, it it made his presence a little less pronounced in my judgment. I think he did well, but I think there were a few occasions where he was a little bit hurt by not um, by not being there on the stage now. Um, my impressions were, and look, I'm not a registered Republican. I don't get to vote in this primary. If I could, the candidates that I like, I like all the candidates, actually, all the four of those candidates that were up there. I've gotten to know Andrew the best. I would probably vote for Andrew. I really, I do like him. But I got to tell you, as far as ideas go, I've really been incredibly impressed with Harry Wilson. Uh, Rob Astorino, I used to work with when he worked here. And, well, he actually worked at ESPN, which was our sister station at the time. But we essentially shared an office, and we've had our, um, you know, we've had our uh, dif- differences over the years politically. But I, uh, I think he has certainly done some interesting things in public life, and I like Lee Zeldin. I've got an interview Lee Zeldin many times over the years. Certainly a dynamic guy and a, an energetic guy. My impressions, and I'd be curious to hear yours. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC, but. My impressions were the best, again, not who I would vote for, but the best candidate as far as the debate went, the best performance was Rob Astorino. I thought Astorino hit it out of the park. I don't think there was one issue that he really stumbled upon. I thought he sounded great. I thought politically he was exactly kind of where he needed to be. And uh, I thought he really didn't let uh, Zeldin's attacks, which we'll get back to in a second, uh, stifle him at all. I thought he came across as smart, engaged, and interested. I thought Astorino did well. Then I think uh, Andrew Giuliani did very well. I don't think Andrew Giuliani really got uh, tripped up at all. And there was one, uh, the question about instituting recall in New York State for DAs. The moderators kind of tried to trip him up, kind of tried to ask him a trick question about how the the process of how an amendment gets enacted in the New York state constitution. And I thought Giuliani hit it out of the park and he rightly called the moderators out for trying to ask him gotcha questions. So I thought Andrew did very well. And then and again, I like all four of these candidates, but then the other two candidates, I have to be honest, I thought performed very poorly. Now, Harry Wilson, who I like a lot, and I love his ideas, and out of the four of them, I think he's probably the most electable in a general election in New York. I don't think uh, – Harry is not a nervous guy. He's a confident guy. He is a um, a leader of of business. He has done very well in the one election he ran in. He came across as nervous, and he came across without having – not having the confidence that Astorino did and that Giuliani did, and without having the poise, in my opinion, I mean, I'd be curious to hear yours, without having the poise that Astorino did and Giuliani did. And he also, and I know you're not supposed to make judgments about this, and look, I look like a uh, a giant troll doll, so I'm in no position to judge anybody's appearance, but um, Harry Wilson, he didn't look as great as the other candidates on stage. He looked like he was sweating he looked a bit flustered and you know for better or worse that visual visual component in a debate does matter. So I don't think Wilson did well. And I got to tell you I I had low expectations for Lee Zeldin because I know he's not a great debater to begin with. I thought Lee Zeldin was awful. I thought Lee Zeldin came across as a crybaby. I thought Lee Zeldin and again I like Lee Zeldin. If you uh, I think he's done a good job in Congress. And, um, you know, every time I've interviewed him, I've been impressed with him. That's why I was so disappointed with him in the debate. He came to me across as a crybaby. He came across as a child, uh, continuing to call Harry Wilson names, continuing to call Rob Astorino names. And the names weren't even effective. I watched this debate with two um, seasoned politicos. One of them outed himself on Facebook, so, but I'm not going to say who either of them were. But they're both Republicans, and they've both been in politics in one case for 25 years in the other case for you know 18 years. And Lee Zeldin kept calling Rob Astorino Rolex Rob. Now, the two-seasoned politico that I was with did not know what that reference to Rolex Rob meant. That was way inside baseball. And I think unless you're going to get like Trump, when he would call Ted Cruz Lion Ted um, or um, Little Marco or whatever, you know, whatever he would call super low energy Jeb. He would always explain why he was calling Ted Cruz Lion Ted. Zeldin. Left voters wondering and viewers wondering why is he calling him Rolex Rob, so I thought that nickname was it came across as juvenile, and also it didn 't make sense by the way that that moniker of Rolex Rob is due to astorino 's involvement in a two thousand and nineteen pay to play bribery scheme tied to dealings with ex mayor de blasio um, uh, the donors to de blasio, Jonah Recknick's and Jeremy. Reichberg, where it was revealed that a real estate developer gave him thousands of dollars towards buying this $10,000 watch, which he then ultimately had to surrender. Now, so I thought that was kind of lame and ineffective. And um, And then he just, you know, I felt the fact that he felt the need to keep mentioning his military service. All right, we get it. We got it. The first five times you mentioned it, you served in the military. You have integrity. We get it. So I thought that was interesting. So, uh, but I think the real, really the highlight and the low light for this debate was this bickering between Lee Zeldin and Harry Wilson. And I have to be honest, I don't think, and I, as someone who likes both of them, I don't think either of them came across looking better because of it. I think both of them came across looking small and looking like they weren't really prepared for the enormity of the job that they're seeking. I thought Astorino and Giuliani did come across as if they had an understanding of the job that they were seeking. If you didn't get to see the debate, it was on Channel 2. I'm sure it's on their website. But there's a little bit of Zeldin and Harry Wilson going back and forth.
2: Marsha, I got the first rebuttal because Mr. Zeldin attacked me twice in the last appearance. So let's be clear. What's happened, let's look at the facts. In 2010, Mr. Zeldin and I campaigned together. In the years since, he has asked me multiple times to run for statewide office. In January of this year, he asked me to be on his ticket. Now, why is he dishonestly attacking me now? Because his campaign is disintegrating. He is spending illegally because he has spent all of his primary cash, and he knows he is failing. So he's attacking the biggest threat because we're surging right now. The reason we're surging is when people know about our turnaround plan to fix New York State. It's not some career politician who failed us in Albany for four years, but someone's going to come in after 30 years of fixing broken companies, turn Albany upside down, and make it work for the voters and taxpayers of the state, just like I have done in company after company. That's the skill set we need to in Albany, not another failed Albany politician.
3: Mr. Yeah, Donald, I mean, I, I never asked, and I wouldn't ask, yes, never Trump did. or Harry Wilson. January 12th, we did. Obama. I've got
2: the notes from that conversation. Don't lie. I, Don't lie.
3: Okay, that is a zero percent chance but as far as a hundred percent chance you didn't i wouldn't want you to serve as a you asked. Governor. i asked alice as commanding stop officer lying. and deputy inspector of the you 70th asked. precinct stop lying she was 24 years along a career in the nypd she would have become an nypd chief her father was an nypd chief she was I the 15th aud-
2: person you asked and you know it I mean, this guy doesn't stop. You're wrong on the wrong
3: debate stage, man. You should be debating Hochul and Williams in the general election. You should be on the Democratic Party primary debate stage right now. Now, as far as what Astorino stated, uh, he knows this. There's nothing in that budget that funded the SAFE Act. I opposed the SAFE Act every step of the way. I co-sponsored the bill to repeal it. I spoke at pro-2A rallies against the SAFE Act. Listen, I don't mind taking on all three of you here tonight, and I'm looking forward to taking on and defeating Kathy Hochul in November. But you can lie as much as you want, but Republican voters are smarter than you, Harry Wilson. You went to Harvard, yes. But don't think that you are smarter than the Republican voters across the state of New York who can sort. They figure you out. Never, Trumper. They figured you, you out mean, that you, you worked twice you Trump. Trump. as Obama advisor. You're They you figured child. you out They're that you fired right your unvaccinated employees. You guys, the more you on, talk, the more on. it helps everybody else. to be honest with voters. Keep talking. to be honest with voters. I just
1: found Zeldin... I, I, he came across to me like a little child. Oh, you're never trumper. Never trumper, never trumper. oh my goodness! So there are guys that can pull off uh, giving a nickname to their opponents. Donald Trump, for instance, um, but Zeldin, in my view, cannot. And then, and again, Wilson was not the only one that he was mixing it up with. Uh, Zeldin had uh, no problem mixing it up with
3: Rolex Rob. First off, uh, you know, Rolex, Rolex Rob, again, uh, was making now a false Now, why is he called claim. Rolex never Rob? never voted for the Cuomo budget. Explain Actually, it. what happened was the Senate Republicans passed our own budgets every single time I was there, self-imposed spending cap, and then we reached a three-way agreement. Now, what he didn't tell you about his time as Westchester executive is that the deficit went up, the debt went up, no, no. the cash reserves went down, nope. the bond rating went down, and the sewer fund owed tens of millions of dollars to the general fund. He was run out of town when he ran for re-election in 2017, just like he was run the out of town out, when Mr. he got Zeldin. crushed in Westchester the running for out, state Mr. senate Zeldin, in I know you want to respond. I
4: certainly do. Quick response. We cut taxes in Westchester seconds. County, and I will cut taxes in New York State. I know how to do it because I've actually done it. Go to my Twitter feed right now and see the, the proof. Lee Zeldin just told the biggest whopper ever that he didn't vote for the Cuomo budgets. Cuomo submits the budget, the executive submits it, and the legislator voted for it. So for him to say that he didn't go with the agenda of Andrew Cuomo, who, by the way, I ran against because he was a corrupt thug back then, but you thought he was the greatest in the world and you said endorsed you over him of the United States of America. I endorsed you over him. Really? You didn't do anything?
1: So, uh, again, uh, I thought Zeldin made himself look smaller by engaging in these trivia battles, especially if he's supposed to be the frontrunner. I said to my friend, when Zeldin made his opening remarks, I said, I don't understand why he's going after Wilson so hard in his opening remarks. And my friend, who's a very seasoned political uh, operative Republican, he said, well, look, he's seeing polling data that we're not seeing. So clearly there must be something in Zeldin's polling data which shows him being vulnerable to Wilson's attacks. And look, I've gotten a number of attack mailers from Wilson, and I've seen the attack ads that Wilson is running. I just think uh, if I were Zeldin, I would try to run a classic Rose Garden strategy as the front runner and uh, not kind of get into the gutter with these people. Now, uh, it is Flag Day. Speaking of Donald Trump, and um, I don't want to offend Never Trump or Harry Wilson, or as Lee Zeldin calls him, Never Trump or Harry Wilson. Um, I don't want to offend Never Trump or Harry Wilson, but uh, today is not only Flag Day. Happy Flag Day to anybody that uh, enjoys flying a flag. Uh, we have two flags up today. Uh, my wife has capped the number of flags that we can fly on our property to two. So we have the American flag up and the New York State flag up. The one day where there's an exception is Flag Day. So I'm going to also try to put up the New York City flag and the Staten Island flag. Uh, but I don't really necessarily want to put up another flag um, whatever, not a flag pole, but a, a flag hoist. So I'm going to try and see. There looks like on the existing flag whole hoists that we have there's room for another flag pole, so i'm going to try and squeeze in the staten island flag and the new york city flag on our existing flags because this is the one day of the year where my wife gives me a carte blanche to fly as many flags as we want so happy flag day to everybody that's celebrating and uh today of course is uh, former president donald trump's birthday now what's coming up on the show today we have a taxi themed show coming up in about 10 minutes We're going to talk with taxi driver, yellow taxi driver, and comedian, and talk show host, and playwright, and performer, activist, all-around interesting guy, John McDonough. He's going to be here uh, in studio. Very much looking forward to that. And then a guy who is probably best known for being on the TV series Taxi, although he's known for so many things. He's had an illustrious career as a boxer, a talk show host, being on shows like Who's the Boss, some interesting films as well. Tony Danza, I actually uh, had the opportunity to tape an interview with him uh, a couple of hours ago, and uh, he's got a show that's starting at the Cafe Carlisle tonight for the next two weeks. So uh, I spoke to him a couple hours ago. He was great. And I'll play you that conversation as well. That's coming up at 3.30. We have uh, the mail coming up if you want to send me any mail. And uh, if you want to do it via email, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. I want to give a um, a shout-out to my favorite second cousin-in-law. uh, who was a friend of mine before she was my second cousin-in-law, the lovely and talented beauty queen and news anchor uh, Kimberly Kravitz, who, along with her longtime companion Kyle and her father Frank Kravitz, who happens to be my uh, first cousin once removed-in-law, he uh, and they have all just landed at Newark Airport and are listening in as they came back from Vegas. Hopefully they came back from Vegas, Vegas big winners. Certainly envious that they got to go. All right. What did you think of the debate? We have two open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-WABC. I'm going, to go, oh, I'm going to go to the folks in the order in which they've been holding. 800-848-9222. And then we got John McDonough coming up. I'm going to get his take on this and everything else that's, uh, that's been in the news. And, again, Tony Danza coming up at 3.30. Very much looking forward to that. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al.
5: Yeah, Frank, thanks for taking my call. Sure. You know, I'm a registered Republican. I will be there two weeks to vote in the primary. Myself and my sisters are also registered Republicans. Uh, We're going to vote for Zeldin, but tonight I agree with you. I thought Astorino uh, performed uh, better than the other uh, competitors in the primary. And I also thought uh, Andrew Giuliani, he stumbled on two questions, and he seemed to, the moderator, uh, Martha Kramer seemed to be getting under his skin. Which so two? I didn't think he did well himself.
1: Which two uh, questions do you think uh, Giuliani stumbled upon?
5: He said as governor, he would put back city workers, uh, you know, but as governor, she pointed out he couldn't do that. That's the mayor's role. And Mayor Adams had said that he, he wasn't going to do that. And the other thing is, uh, he also got confused when it was brought up about a a constitutional amendment to get rid of the DA and how it could be implemented. And uh, he seemed a little bit, uh, when they pressed him on the question, irritated. And I thought that uh, didn't shine well. Well, um,
1: and, and, you know, I won't disagree with you on the first point, and um, you're right. There's no – the governor can't force the city to uh, hire back laid-off workers, but then he did add – and not that he needs me to defend him – but not that – he then did add that then he would have the state hire those workers. I disagree a little on the second point. I thought they were trying to make it out like he did stumble upon that question, but then he explained, you know, to get a constitutional amendment, you'd have to have two separate legislatures vote for it and then have the – The the voters, uh, the voters adopted. Now, um, uh, my sense is and I've seen all sorts of polling on this race. That's all over the place. And to be honest, I don't give the polling any credibility, the polling that finds Giuliani ahead or Zeldin or anybody. uh, My sense is in talking with listeners and talking with rank and file Republicans that this race is wide open. I mean, what do you think? As a Zeldin supporter, do you think it's Zeldins to lose at this point, or do you kind of agree with me that this is anybody's race at this point?
5: I think it's wide open, but I think uh, people at the end of the day who know politics, my outlook is, you know, say, for instance, my first preference would be Giuliani. But my outlook is, you know, we could win the battle, but we can't win the war. If Zeldin wins the Republican primary, he also has the conservative line, and the only w- way we can beat uh, the uh, incumbent governor right now, I believe, is to have that partnership—the right. Republican and conservative—because well, I don't think on the one line you could win. Yeah, well, so let, I, that's let me, why I let, would. Let,
1: let me get Zeldin. to some other folks, Al. But just as a point of um, as a point of information, if people are viewing things the way that you, you view them as well, what would happen? If Zeldin lost the Republican primary, they would give him a nomination for state Supreme Court and then put whoever won the Republican primary on the conservative line as well. That's exactly wow. what happened in 2010 when Paladino was uh, beat Lazio and Lazio won the conservative party primary. It's, it's a good point, though. I get what you're saying. Uh, I want to run through these, and we got John McDonough waiting in the rings, uh, and then Tony Danza coming up in a little bit. 800-848-WABC. Uh, One issue they did spend a great deal of time on was the issue of guns and gun control. Here is the former Westchester County Executive Rob Astorino.
4: Well, we have gun-free zones right now. They don't work at all because we're looking at something, and I think we need to change the the debate a little bit here, from gun control to criminal control. Right now it's the criminals who get away with everything, okay? And it's the law-abiding New Yorkers who have a Second Amendment right to own a weapon for self-defense, who are being targeted all the time. We have a district attorney right now in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who should be fired. I mean, he is refusing to prosecute crimes. And the biggest problem is they drop criminal charges when somebody is arrested with an illegal possession of a weapon. That should never be. We should actually add charges and penalties to gun crimes. You know, we've got a parole board right now that has released... 20 cop killers in the last two years under Hochul, they should all be fired. we got to get back to actually what worked, broken windows policy, stop, question, and frisk. The majority of these gun, cr- gun crimes are in a small area, concentrated area in our urban areas. That's where we got to target to get illegal guns Mr. off the streets.
1: Uh, So I thought Rob did very well. I got to tell you. And again, Rob and I were friends when he worked here and then we had a little bit of a falling out over the reform party and we didn't endorse him when he ran for reelection. I don't think Rob has much of an opportunity, much of a chance to win the primary and certainly not the general election. Uh, look, he's lost for governor. He's lost for county executive. He's lost for state senate. I'm not sure how many losses he needs to get before people realize he's probably not a viable statewide candidate. But i got to tell you, as a communicator, I thought he hit it out of the park yesterday, and I think that's his radio background. Um, the next debate, by the way, is going to be Monday, and I don't know if you heard me talking to Dominic Carter earlier. But Monday's debate is on New York One. So far, Zeldin has not agreed to participate in that debate. The other three candidates have agreed to participate. Now, New York One has the same absurd rule that Channel 2 has, which is that you have to be vaccinated in order to participate. But I don't understand how New York One is going to go about enforcing this rule with any credibility. Because Andrew Giuliani was on Pat Kiernan's show on New York One in studio two weeks ago. So why was it OK for Andrew Giuliani to appear in studio at New York One two weeks ago, but now all of a sudden that it's, it's 15 days or 14 days before the election? Why is it not OK for him to appear in studio at New York One now? I mean, it, it, it strikes me as just incredible hypocrisy. And then I think the following day in Rochester, Newsmax TV is doing a debate with all four candidates. I believe they're all participating. Neil, on Staten Island, what were your impressions of the debate?
6: Uh, well, first I say there are a bunch of hypocrites with this vaccination. Oh, stuff. no kidding. It's like Patti LuPone. She threw a, a, a woman out of her show. But, yes, she was at the Tony Awards without a mask. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're just hypocrites. My impression of the debate was they pretty much all agree on the same thing. They all agree about crime. They all agree about cutting taxes. Uh, they all agree about Hulkle, what, what, a, what a stinker she is. Uh, the only thing is the three of them in the studio – to me, it was like uh, three dogs going after a piece of meat. And I'm watching Giuliani. He's, he's, sit, he's standing there and he's just smiling. You know? and, I, and I thought he had a really, really good demeanor. I think not being in there was an asset for him uh, instead of a liability because he, he was separated from them and he showed a lot of class. You know, that's and, interesting,
1: uh, uh, Neil. You think he maybe benefited from staying above the fray, not being down in the in the ditches with those guys.
6: Well, if he would have been next to that, he probably would have got you know, drawn into it. Interesting. I, I, think, it, I think it was his advantage.
1: Interesting. You know, the the thing that Andrew also did, which I think may inure to his benefit in the primary coming up in 14 days, is that he ran towards Donald Trump. And he he is embracing Trump and Trumpism. And while that may hurt him in the general. Before you can even worry about the general election, you have to win the primary. And I think the voters that are most likely to turn out in the primary are Trump supporters. And I think Andrew made very clear that he's kind of on a Trumpian side of the uh, of the ledger. 800-848-WABC. John McDonough coming up in just a minute. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete.
7: Hi, Frank. I'm and I was at the homestead there. It was great. They got shrimp there. They're like six inches long. They're $10 a piece. I didn't realize I wanted 10 of them, 100 bucks. Oh, my. But here's the point. I got over here I wanted to listen to the bass. And you can't get it because you're in Elastic City. That channel, two is another channel, too. But thank God, on my phone, I was able to get my feed from Spectrum. To see everything, because I wanted to see how Andrew did. I think he did wonderful. Those two things that they said he fouled up on, he wants to put the workers, bring them back, and put them on state payroll, which he could do. As right. His that's what
1: I'm saying. He clarified that he 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 did say initially he was going to force the city to rehire them, but then he did uh, he did clarify that if they won't do it, then he'll get the state to do it. Uh, Pete, good luck in Atlantic City. Have fun. Let us know how the rest of your trip goes. Tom in the Bronx. Hello.
7: Yeah, I'd like to say yes. that these uh, attacks on Mayor Giuliani and now his son—they got to put him in another, another facility of uh, uh, to uh, to uh, to talk about the situation. It strikes me as the old saying goes: "If there's smoke, there's fire." You know. And and the mere fact they have to attack him is a very poor situation. They're frightened of Giuliani well, and they're frightened of his son. That's well, what I'm thinking.
1: Thanks, Tom. You know, I didn't notice the other candidates attacking Giuliani at all. And my friends that I watched the debate with were asking me, why was that? Why did? Why was Andrew the only candidate that no one went after? And my thinking is that I don't see what's to gain by going after Andrew Giuliani. Because Andrew Giuliani is so associated with his father, Rudy Giuliani, and Donald Trump. So by going after Andrew, it's almost like you're attacking Trump and Giuliani, both of whom are popular with Republican primary voters in New York. So I don't see what you'd gain by doing that. So I didn't notice any of the candidates going after Andrew, really. Patrick is in Indiana. Hello,
8: Patrick. Hi, Frank. Uh, Thanks for taking my call, friend. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, I know the people of New York City and New York State are having primaries right now, and I'm just an observer. I mean, I come from Cleveland, which is not that great a place, you know, truck driver over the road for 29 years, pretty much living on the interstate. But when I listen to you in you WABC, they have all sorts of kind of problems. I mean, it's pretty obvious. And the reason why they have these problems is because the electors kind of choose idiots, and that's why they have murder and and bankruptcies and poverty. I mean, come on. It's well, yeah, have, they, they say
1: ultimately, or, Patrick, they say ultimately we all get the government we deserve, right? Uh, David is in the Bronx. David, what were your impressions of the debate?
9: Well, I have to agree for probably the only time in my lifetime with Neil from Staten Island about Giuliani benefiting from not being present in the studio because they should have – I mean, as far as him being close to Trump and whatever, um, what's his name? Zeldin, he's been sucking up to Trump for years when he was in Congress, so I don't think there's any benefit from not going after Giuliani because of Trump. I think Giuliani is vulnerable because he has no government experience except for that no-show job he had in the White House under Trump. What experience does he have – What makes you think he's qualified to be governor of the state of New York? Yeah, well... That's a question
10: for you.
1: Yeah, well, so, one, I don't think it was a no-show job. I've been to the White House, and I've seen Andrew Giuliani there. And I actually thought, um, you know, I actually don't think that prior government service or prior service in elective office is a great training ground for being governor. I think it can be, but I don't think it necessarily always is. And I was watching because... The dig on Andrew has always been his lack of experience and that what's he doing running for governor at such a young age, never held elective office, has, uh, you know, never worked in state government, never worked in city government. But I was watching Andrew and waiting for him to stumble on a policy issue, and he seemed to have a pretty impressive uh, command of policy issues in New York State, at least as it come to me. Now, when it comes to Andrew, I do think that because of his last name and because of his affiliation with Trump – it's going to be very difficult for him to win in the general election. I actually don't see a scenario in which it can happen in New York State. But um, I honestly think the only of the, one of the four that has a prayer of being competitive in the general is Harry Wilson. And uh, at least by the looks of yesterday's debate, it doesn't look like Harry is uh, going to be winning that primary. But who knows? He's still got a lot of money, and uh, money counts for a lot in politics. We'll squeeze in one more call before we get to John McDonough. Bobby is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Bobby.
8: Hey, Frank. So you know that it's a long way from today to the election.
1: Well, it's 14 right? days to the primary.
8: Well, <laughs> I think Andrew Giuliani has the best chance because he, oh, there's a lot of people who know that he can, he and his his family can put together a very strong um, team in Albany. And... And I I just talked to a friend of mine uh, two nights ago, and he's like really tight with Linda McMahon. You remember her, Linda McMahon? Sure, yes. Yeah.
1: She's so Vince McMahon's yeah. wife.
8: And and she well, she was um, right. Office. Two
1: two time losing candidate for U.S. Senate
10: in
8: Connecticut. Yeah but, yeah, but she's she's kind of a heavy, and and she likes Andrew. She wants to happen. Because upstate will benefit from Andrew Giuliani's administration, and then Mayor Mayor Party Boy will have to like play
10: along.
1: Well, we'll see what happens, uh, Bobby. From what I see, it looks to me—and thanks for the call—like fifty to sixty percent of the of the state. Is totally anti-Trump, no matter what, and I think you just have to say the word Trump, and it's like a bull charging at a red bandana or a red cape, whatever the bulls charge at. And I don't think they're ever going to give Andrew a shot because of his affiliation with Trump. Honestly, I think um, you know, again, a lot of folks in Western New York and upstate in the suburbs may like Trump, but in New York City. Unless you can get 30 to 35% of the vote in New York City, I think it's going to be very difficult to even be competitive statewide. And I think the affiliation with Trump is going to make it difficult. But who knows? I hope I'm wrong. I voted for Trump. Um, So I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I'd love to see somebody like Andrew Giuliani uh, get elected. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting to see. John McDonough is here. Cab driver, comedian,
0: activist, playwright, straight ahead.
11: W-A-B-C. Put up a parking lot with a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm
1: Frank Moreno, joined in studio uh, by one of my favorite people, one of my favorite taxi drivers, one of my favorite radio commentators, uh, one of my favorite playwrights and uh, comedians, and a great guy. The one and only John McDonough. John, how are you? Thanks for coming in studio.
12: Good, good. I love coming down here because you can actually park. That's right. And, and that, that is a, r- is a great asset. Only until 7 a.m. Well, move your car that's, before that That's going to be your problem. You've got to stop those meetings after the show.
1: <laughs> right you are. Hey, um, you are partners on the radio with uh, legendary writer and New York personality Maliki McCourt. You told me a couple of weeks ago that uh, Maliki McCourt had actually planned on doing a living will, but then he had to postpone the living will. Well, living
12: be- wake. Living wake, excuse me.
1: <laughs> living wake, thank you. He had to postpone the living wake because of a death in the family, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. What's the rationale, as best you un- understand it, and I'll, we'll, we'll ask Malachi himself, but in a nutshell, what's the rationale behind having a living wake?
12: Well, well Malachi just wanted to hear what people were going to say about him before he goes, if they were going to stab him in the back. So he was gathering all his friends uh, down at the Irish Repertory Theater on 22nd Street. Uh, it, it would have been a funny night. He still hasn't planned in the future. Uh, you know, I hope he does it soon because he's going to be 91 in September. But it, it, it is an unusual event because there's very few people that can say, I want to gather everyone that would come to my wake. I want to come and I want to hear what you're going to say about me.
1: Yeah, um, it, it is uh, certainly a unique thing. Um you tell me what you're doing tonight. You're part of or, the, or today. You're part yeah. of this Moth Festival.
12: Uh, well, no, it's not so much a festival. I mean, they do these uh, story slams. So what is it? Well, tell uh, tell it,
1: folks uh, you know that might be like me and not up on it. it. Right, what is it,
12: it? How it came about is the, the the Moth Story Hour is probably one of the most famous storytelling radio shows in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's on every NPR station. It runs around the world. They got a great uh, uh, website. So people would always tell me when I was doing my play at the Irish Rep, you know, you, you should look and do The Moth. So when it came out, uh, I, I went down to Housing Works and, and did The Moth and did a, did a song, not a song, a, a story. And it didn't win because the guy that won, the last guy that got up, because they, they, you know, give you points about your story. So I was winning up until the last guy, and the last guy gets up. And he starts talking about his poor wee dog and how his dog was dying. And I was going, oh, if this dog dies, I'm effed. <laughs> and, of course, the dog died. He wins. Everybody's crying. I said, oh, forget. This is not for me. So now I'm doing a fundraiser for Theater 80 at 80 St. Mark's Place. We're right. We had on at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and everyone's still coming up to me. You ever think about doing the off? I said, no, nah, listen, leave me alone. So this woman comes up to me, and she goes, you ever think about doing the moth? I said, listen, listen. F the moth, unless you're talking about a dying dog, you're not getting on there. (laughs) So she reaches into a pocketbook, and she hands me a card, and I'm looking at it right now. It says, the moth, artistic director, Catherine Burns. So I start going, hum-na, hum-na, hum-na. I'm like Jackie Gleason. I bribe a dust. I I, I said, listen, I love the moth. I'm just not cut (laughs) out for it. She goes, listen, we're going to get you on the moth, and that is tonight at the Music Hall in Williamsburg at 66 North 6th Street. So I'll be telling a story. I'm not going to say what the story is, but it's a f- pretty famous story I tell in my play uh, uh, about a reality show. We'll just so what time in. tonight in Williamsburg? Uh, well, it, doors open at 630, and then the storytellers go on at 730. There's eight storytellers and an intermission. Can anybody
1: go, or do you yeah, have to buy yeah, tickets no, in advance? No, you
12: have to buy tickets. You, you can get at the door. It's, it's a big joint. How can people get tickets in advance? Uh, go to the Music Hall in Williamsburg. Uh, oh. Just type in Music Hall Williamsburg. And, you know, it'll come up about the event tonight. Doors open at 630. And I don't know when I'll be on and which thing I had rehearsals, which is weird on Zoom, with the other storytellers. And then you have directors that say, well, listen, if you change this here and you do this and they tighten it up and cut out this because they, they really want you to stay between six and seven minutes and, and tighten up whatever your story that you're telling. And it has to be a true story. That, that's the main thing about it. How many storytellers are there? Oh, t- tonight yeah. there's eight, eight. There's going to be four, an intermission, and then four. So it's, uh, it, it, to me, it, it's the apex of a storyteller It's to get on the moth. Mm-hmm. And I, as I told them, it's all downhill after that. <laughs> Are they going
1: to air it on on radio also? Yeah, yeah, uh, it'll oh, be that's on
12: me. NPR. Live like,
1: or no, no, no. Okay,
12: everything's recorded because you, you, people could flip out. Like it, a lot, it's all right, amateurs. Sure. They get up there and they could freeze or or whatever. So – and they're very professional. Like, you know, s- since the time I've now gotten involved with the Moth, everything is here's your director, here's this, this is where we're going to go, we're doing a sound check. Because I, I normally go to salons and storytelling events where you just get up. A lot of times there's not even a mic. Sure. Yeah. And you just get up and you tell a story.
1: Well, that's—I'm uh, a lover of uh, good stories and storytelling, and uh, I don't think anybody tells them better than John McDonough. So, if people are interested in hearing John McDonough tell a story, they can uh, show up uh, in Williamsburg tonight. Doors open at six thirty, but you can buy tickets in advance online. So, are you excited about this?
12: Yeah, yeah, I'm really—I'm uh, looking forward because it could lead to other things because so many people listen to it. Uh, like uh, the play I do is off the meter about my 40 years of driving a yellow cab and I have a laptop and people get in touch with me because I might be doing now the Greek community center in Astoria because they, oh, cool. they, they got in touch with me. We're,
1: we're very pro anything Greek.
12: Well, on this radio yeah, it might have something to do with the owner. <laughs> and uh, so I'm working on uh, trying to do something there. So, you know, someone anywhere in the country could say, you know what, I have a theater. Maybe I can bring them in. Because uh, I am heading to Ireland now, which I'm so looking forward to oh, Dublin. When are you going? In September to do the play. And, uh, y- you know, it's, because there's an Irish theme that runs through the play. And it's, uh, well, you know, that's I, awesome. I, I can't wait for that. I've been well, putting it off for three years because of COVID. And I'm thanking Biden for canceling the COVID test to come back. Because I, I was in Ireland twice in November. I can't tell you how nerve wracking it is that before you can come back to the States, you you had to get a COVID test, and if you test it negative, you had to stay in the country, whatever country you're flying, in, for ten days until you then test it uh, negative. So it, it's very nerve wracking, and you pay. We pay. I paid seventy dollars to take the, the COVID test, and it takes twenty four hours. They email you the result, and if you test positive, you're screwed. Right. So right. now you got to go to a hotel and you got to isolate. So by him lifting it on Sunday, it, it, to me, it's a great relief. Now you can go back and forth. And not worry about taking the test. Absolutely.
1: Well, that's uh, great to hear. Uh, we'll talk with John McDonough, who, in addition to being a performer, a talk show host, and a comedian, also happens to be a taxi driver. You're still doing the yellow taxi thing.
12: I, you know what? I haven't driven since COVID, but I keep my license up to date. And it, it, it happens every three years. And I just cannot believe the expense of renewing your license. So I just did it in the past week or two. I was down at the garage in Long Island City. You have to go online. And for one hundred fifty-two dollars, you start the uh, to renew the process. So then there's three things you have to get done. They've set up now the city a new class that you have to take called uh, license renewal, which is five hours of my life I will never get back. <laughs> then well, you why ha- bother? I mean, if you are driving so infrequently anyway, you're so busy doing all these things. Well, you, why are you still you know so? What? I've been doing a lot of travel shows. People get in contact with me and they want me in the taxi, so I can go down to the garage anytime I want and get a taxi out. So, like, I've done the Russian travel channel. I've done the uh, French travel channel. I've done German. So people get in contact with me. So I go down to the garage. I get the cab for twelve hours. They pay for it, and I drive them around and I give them a tour of the city. So it, it, it's a very valuable asset to have the the hack license. I understand. Yeah, that and makes sense. Th- the city is making so much money off it. That, like, there's one hundred sixty-five thousand uh, licenses now in the city. But very few yellow cab drivers, they tend to be older now. Anybody that's young is not going into yellow. Right. They're, going They're going into to Uber, Uber, Lyft. They own their own car and things like how that. How much does it cost to renew your uh, your hack Almost $500. $500. Yeah, and now you've got to take the urine test every year. That's $35 with LabCorp. So every cab driver. But now this is the first time they've done a way you could test positive for weed. But you still can't smoke crystal meth, which I think <laughs> that's you know, it's a setback. <laughs> Come on. You know how cabbies like crystal meth. But, you got to uh, stay awake somehow. Yeah. Well, that's it. Those night shifts, they're kind of long for 12 hours. I I had some right before I got on air. Absolutely.
1: Um, So that's interesting. Hey, one of the things that you talked about, I don't know if it was our last conversation, but in some of our previous conversations – about how to save the yellow cab industry, is you had said, and I think you were the first person to say this, is that they should allow the Uber app to hail a yellow taxi cab. And apparently now that's the case. Now that's I, the deal I testified they worked out.
12: at the Taxi and Limousine Commission saying that, because here's what happened. When Uber first came to town, they were looking for any angle to get in. So they made this grand gesture. They said, listen, we'll come in. We want to be part of the city. We'll put an option on the app that you can tap. For a yellow cab. Now, what was happening was because there's no price surging, if you tap for the yellow cab, you could get a cab to the airport fairly cheap. So they were losing a lot of fares to see. yellow cab. So within a year, the first thing they did was get rid of that option. So now coming back, they don't have as many drivers now for Uber. And actually, one of the classes I took is telling you now that now that Uber is putting the yellow cab. But they're doing it differently. They're not doing it Before, uh, when they came to town, it was $2 you paid to Uber, and then we did it on the meter. Now it's a completely different way of doing it, so you're going to be part of their system. And I could see problems of trying to get the money from Uber, Right. but I still think it's a good option. It'll be particularly in the outer boroughs, not so much in Manhattan because you're picking up around Manhattan – but you get out to Brooklyn and Queens, you, you can get that hit. A couple of quick issues. Talking with John McDonough, kind enough to join us in
1: studio. Um, if you want to comment on anything we're talking about, 800-848-WABC, 800 you 9222 um, You are you know, pretty well versed on the news. One issue that has gotten a lot of attention the last week or so is this gentleman that was – not general – person that was arrested for – uh, attempting to Assassin. kill uh, the justice of the Supreme Court, Brett Kavanaugh. Now, he called the police on himself. He turned himself in. He seemed to be cooperative with authorities. Clearly, this is somebody who was a few aces short of a full deck. What's your take on something like this?
12: Well, I, I want to find out. He, he, he was against two things about Roe v. Wade. He, he didn't like that. And he didn't like about a decision maybe coming down that people in New York City might be able to get guns mm-hmm. legally. And he's carrying a gun. To kill now, people haven't played out what would have happened had he assassinated Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh wouldn't have been cold in his grave before Chuck Schumer and would have nominated his replacement, which would have been left wing. Now you can only imagine what those hearings would have been like, and the Republicans kicking up that we have now, you know, tilted the court in another direction because of an assassination. And, you t- you know, they talk about tearing the country apart. The hearings for a Democratic-leaning uh, Supreme Court justice would have been unbelievable, whoever they were picking. And they would have jammed it in before the November elections, before maybe the, the Senate, uh, you know, switches over, say, to Republican. So that, that to me, I, I wish someone more politically astute would play out that game. What would have happened if a uh, Kavanaugh and who gets to pick them, how quickly could it be a nominated and could they have gotten it done before November's election? Yeah. So that would be you, you talk about uh, affecting history like one bullet could affected history oh, maybe for 50 years. Absolutely. They get a young Democratic guy in there and he's there for 50 years. Absolutely. Eight hundred eight four eight
1: W.A.B.C. Joan is in Manhattan. Joan, you're on with John McDonough.
8: Oh, hi, Frank. Hi, John. Hello. Uh, Listen, congratulations on getting on the moth. I
7: remember you telling that story on your show about your embarrassing moment with Lee, with the head, right? Yes, yes. It is one one of the best shows on the radio.
8: I'm surprised, Frank, you say you love storytelling. I'm shocked that you didn't know about it. Yeah, Um, well, I I mean, I've heard of
1: it, but, you know, some listeners may not be familiar with it.
8: Oh, yes. Well,
7: definitely check it out. Um, you don't have to go to another station to listen to it. You don't have to be a turncoat and listen to another station. You can just go to their website, right? Uh, John, what is their website? Is it the org. Yeah, or yeah, it, it, it is.
12: And, and the, the website's wonderful. And this particular story is that really stuck on my head, one was a fireman talking about finding oh, two, yeah. two dead kids in Williamsburg. And, oh, yeah. and I'm going to just shorten it. It was so horrific when he found the kid and he was uh, uh, the two kids. So he was traumatized. The mother who had left the kids in the apartment comes running back with groceries and she starts crying about her two oh. kids that died. And the fireman goes, well, why were you shopping? You let them die. Oh, and he geez. goes, and then he goes, if there's any time in your life you could ever take back something you ever said, that was the time. Oof. It it, ne- it never left my mind. But it was oh, so God. real. And his reaction to seeing the mother, and he goes, it was so horrific what I said to her. But he was in the yeah. moment. She's coming sure. up. I and, mean, and, I've been there. And that was a story. I, I, it never left my head. Yeah. I, thank I mean. you.
1: Thank you, Joan. Uh, r- real quick, uh, and again, we'll try and squeeze in one or two other quick calls for John McDonough, 800-848-WABC. But um, y- you are a critic of the media. I think in most cases, deservedly so i want to ask you about what we've been seeing with the washington post the washington post recently fired their reporter felicia Sanmez, after this days-long public fervor over a colleague retweeting a goofy joke she essentially railed against one of her colleagues at the paper and was fired for it the colleague was suspended i can tell you i don't know what the reaction would be and i don't care to find out if i were to go on a twitter tirade um you know tweeting about you know bernie mcgurk sid rosenberg brian kilmeade greg kelly I don't think management here at our station would take kindly to that. What do you think about what happened with the Washington Post situation? I I
12: think, you know, airing a dirty laundry, and it happens at WBAI, there's a policy. Like, stick to your own show. Don't be criticizing other other shows you don't like. But you bring up WABC. I I listened to Sid in the morning. He might be criticizing uh, someone that's coming on in the afternoon. I listened to Curtis Lee on the weekends. <laughs> what he says about you is outrageous. I've I given mean, him first blank first all, carte blanche to the, say whatever the, the, he the, wants. Uh, about the call screener. Oh, that call screener sucks. The engineer, he's no good. <laughs> that's Frank Mirando's guy. And then you come on. Curtis, who does he have? I don't, I don't like these guys. They're like, well... If, if that policy really was here at ABC, there'd be nobody working here. That's true. I'd be the one That's on true. the mic because everybody would be gone. <laughs> I mean, good God. It's true. John McDonough, you
1: could see him at the uh, Moth, uh, telling one of his stories at the Moth in Williamsburg. Uh, 630, doors open. Give me the location again. It's
12: at 66 North 6th Street in B. Anybody in the area come by? They, they have a very young crowd, and, and I love to see that. They're, they're, they're into storytelling, although a very young crowd... Really have no stories to tell. When I went to one of them, this is the theme of the 26 years old, six years old. I live in my mother's basement. I smoke weed. I drink beer and I play video games. And then the women get up. My boyfriend lives in his mother's basement. He drinks beer. He smokes weed. He plays uh, that. And I was saying, I'll go old school. This is how my generation Got out of high school, you were drafted into the Army, you went around the world, killed someone, came back, got married, had two kids, got divorced, and were a raging al- alcoholic by the time you were 24, 26. So you had life experience. You got stories to tell. These kids today, what do they know? Yeah, they got enough. nothing to talk. Video games. Don't. I'm playing this. Auto or whatever these games are. That's <laughs> it. That's all they talk about. John
1: McDonough, it's always a treat to have you in studio. Let's do this again soon. As long as it's parking. Yeah, give yeah, our thanks, best, thanks for give our me, best Frank. to Maliki McCoy. Hopefully I'll oh, see you at to. his living wake. If you want to comment, 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
13: WABC. We are
0: New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: the other side of midnight. That's Patty LaBelle singing about a new attitude. If you ever want to know what bumper music we're playing on this show, just join the Facebook group. Uh, Just search on Facebook Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Well, yesterday was the day um, you know, we sort of live hand to mouth, right? We live month to month. You know, the old expression, you're only as good as your your last ratings book is very true in the world of radio. And yesterday, we got the ratings for the month of May, and I have it on very good authority from what I'm told. That uh, from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. in the category of 12 plus, we are once again... Number one in the New York City metro area. Now, um, that is something I'm very proud of and very grateful to you who've listened because uh, the sports stations, because I guess May was a big sports month, made some big gains. But we on the overnight show here on the other side of midnight, still number one. I think that's for six straight months. November, December, January, February. February. March, April, May, seven straight months, I think. So I I believe we've been number one in the overnights for seven straight months. I don't know the last time that uh, an AM talk station has been able to do this in New York, but I'm very proud of that, so thank you. In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: Tomorrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Do you follow the World Cup? Are you up on the World Cup at all? You know, it's funny. I've always noticed the noticed and noted this about the World Cup. America by and large is not that big of a soccer country. I know there was a little bit of a resurgence around the time that Pelé played, not at least not as a spectator sport. Uh America's very into soccer as a participatory sport, but not as much as a spectator sport. When it comes to spectator sports, America is all about football. America is all about Basketball. America is all about baseball. America is all about NASCAR. Believe it or not, very big following for NASCAR in the United States. Soccer, not so much. The exception to that, of course, is the World Cup. I've noticed whenever the World Cup is in town, I notice the same thing. Now, maybe it'll be different the next time around because we're now in an era where most people don't show up to go to their offices and work in person to begin with. But what I've noticed with the World Cup is in office after office, especially men, but not exclusively, especially young men, but not exclusively, they view the World Cup as an opportunity. And tell me if you've noticed this. They view it as an opportunity to not work in the middle of the day. I would go and look, I've always had odd hours working either early mornings or late nights. But I would sometimes see in offices that I was working in, whenever the World Cup comes around, this collection of people that for the rest of the year and for the other three and a half years couldn't care less about the world uh, about soccer. They're all glued to the World Cup. You go into any bar, any sports bar in the middle of the day, and you see it's packed. It's packed. They're all watching Brazil take on Mexico in the World Cup. I'm looking around. It's 3 o'clock in the middle of the afternoon. I'm thinking, why is no one working? I know why I'm not working. I finished work six hours ago. Why is no one else here at work? Is somehow the World Cup a license to play hooky from your job? It must be. So the World Cup seems to be and again maybe it'll be a different situation for uh 2020 uh the next time around because um the the issue of working from an office seems to be much less pronounced these days but it got me thinking the next time that they're announcing host cities for the World Cup is going to be in the year 2026 the 2026 World Cup, and so I guess did the 2022 World Cup already happen? Is it over? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Uh, oh, it's in November. Okay, so that's when you'll see everybody. Um, that's when you'll see everybody skipping work if they're working. Again, like I said, it might be different this year because everybody's in a work from um, you know work from home mode. But I am curious to see if all these sports bars are going to be filled to the brim with all these nouveau soccer fans because of their newfound interest in the World Cup. But on Thursday, we are going to learn which cities are going to be hosting the 2026 World Cup. It has been exactly four years since FIFA, the governing body of soccer, awarded the world's most popular sporting event to North America. Ever since, two dozen cities across the United States, Canada, and Mexico have all been preparing and politicking like crazy, trying to prove themselves worthy of hosting these matches. So on Thursday at 5 p.m., FIFA is going to pick anywhere between 16 and 19 cities, including... Ten to twelve cities right here in the United States of America. Happy Flag Day, right? Any better, any better way to celebrate Flag Day, Flag Week, than to have some American cities selected to host the World Cup? And they're going to leave the other cities feeling as if this agonizingly thorough, delayed, multiple times process was all for naught. See, in Mexico, FIFA's decision is a foregone co- conclusion, We're all assuming that they're going to pick Mexico City, they're going to pick Guadalajara, and they're going to pick Monterey. They're going to host a combined 10 games down south in Mexico. Another 10 are going to be played in Canada, where it looks like Toronto's going to get some games, looks like Vancouver's going to get some games, and Edmonton is the third candidate. And the North American Bid Committee originally proposed that there would be three host cities north of the border and 10 in the United States. But there have now been some rumblings that FIFA could select an 11th U.S. city or even a 12th, perhaps at the expense of the less glamorous Edmonton. So with four U.S. cities considered locks and a few more shoring up their status in recent months, that leaves 12, count them, 12, dirty dozen, 12 American cities, 12 American contenders, for either six or seven spots in the 2026 World Cup rotation. Uh, That's according to what's being reported, conversations with people that are familiar with the process and previously reported information. Now, here's how the race looks. I'm going to tell you, but first, here's what I want to know. World Cup's a big deal. People watch this not only all over the country, but literally all over the world. Do you want the World Cup in your city? And in some ways, it reminds me of the conversation that we had had over the Olympics. And in some ways, it reminds me of the conversation we'd had over the World's Fair. And it is a little different than both of those issues, especially the Olympics, because with the Olympics, usually cities, host cities, have to build all sorts of infrastructure including an Olympic stadium, to host their part of the Olympic Games, whereas the World Cup, that's not necessarily the case. They generally use existing stadia. And uh, it's also different because it's a shorter amount of time. You're dealing with a game or two, so basically a day or two, not weeks of, of bringing the city to a, a standstill. But before I tell you what um, cities are going to be competing for the World Cup, my question for you is very simple. 800 848 WABC. 800 848 9222. Would you want the World Cup in your city? Why or why not? Now, here are the cities that are the the dozen contenders for the six or seven American spots for the 2026 World Cup rotation. Number one is New York and New Jersey. And that's an important distinction when I say New York and New Jersey because. The game would probably be at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. So they wouldn't be snarling midtown traffic. They wouldn't be disrupting my commute to work. And my attitude is, look, if it's going to take place in New Jersey, so be it. It doesn't disrupt my way of life. Maybe it's a nice way for New Jersey to kind of get on the international stage, prove itself to the rest of the world. So New York and New Jersey, number one. Number two... Dallas and Arlington at AT AT&T Stadium. That's where the uh, Dallas Cowboys play, I believe. Number three, Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. This is one of the few NFL stadiums that regularly host soccer matches, so you'd think they'd be in a pretty good position. Los Angeles at the SoFi Stadium. Now, this is a city that has hosted World Cup games before. In fact, I think they actually hosted the finals back in 1994, which ended and I don't even care about spectator soccer, it ended in a very competitive shootout for the finals there, Los Angeles SoFi Stadium. This is, um, a a lot of people describe Los Angeles as an ideal city, but with two less than ideal stadiums. That's why Los Angeles status as a favorite to host the U.S. opener has gotten kind of shaky. It's got the uh, ritzy SoFi Stadium, with just about every imaginable amenity, but there's quite frankly not enough space—not enough space on the field for soccer. It has the Rose Bowl, which is steeped in history, but is fairly bare bones. Then you got Philadelphia, Lincoln Fair, a Financial Field, San Francisco slash Santa Clara, Houston, or as we New Yorkers call it, Houston, Seattle. So um, those are the cities that are considered to be heavy favorites. Seattle, Houston, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Atlanta, New York slash New Jersey, and Dallas slash Arlington. So if you're in one of those cities, do you care if you get the World Cup or not? Are you happy to have it? Are you happy for the economic activity? Are you happy for the visitors? Do you think you're going to make a bundle of money renting out one of the rooms in your house through Airbnb? Do you want it? Do you not want it? Or do you not care? 800 848 WABC. That's 800 848 9222. Now, here are the other cities that are in contention. Miami, Hard Rock Stadium. Now, Miami just did a very interesting job hosting the Formula One race out there. And I watched a little bit of that Formula One race, and I thought that was... I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job as a city putting their best foot forward as a city. You have Baltimore slash Washington, D.C., another finalist. These are the cities that are on the World Cup bubble. And quite frankly, I'd be surprised if of uh, these cities... Got one. But you have Kansas City. Uh, That's a city which is lobbying very aggressively to get this this World Cup situation. Then you have, uh, in addition, uh, Denver. Uh, Oh, no, actually, that's more of a long shot. Nashville is on the bubble. Boston. uh, Foxborough. Gillette Stadium. I think that's where the Patriots play. They're on the bubble. Nashville. Then here are the cities that are long shots, but they all want it. Denver, Orlando, Cincinnati. Now, when it comes to what factors they consider, they consider dozens of factors. Hotels, mass transit, the willingness to commit public funds to events. And that's where I, if I'm living in one of these cities, I don't really want to commit public funds. Like, if you're a New Yorker or a New Jerseyan or uh, whatever, I mean, look, it's different if you're in Cincinnati or in Denver because maybe you need something, or Nashville. Maybe you need something like the World Cup to put your town on the map. But I wouldn't really want, as a taxpayer, to put in taxpayer money to host this soccer tournament, which I barely care about. I mean, I get that it's an international event. I get it's a way to showcase your city on an international stage. But... I don't know about you. It does nothing for me. My attitude is kind of shoulder shrug. Eh, it's great, you know, if it gets people excited, if people want to go, if it's good for the city, if it creates economic activity. But instead, it's looking to me like another Buffalo Bills situation, a money grab for sports where the taxpayers have to foot the bill for FIFA, an international multi billion dollar. Entity. So they look at cities, hotel, and public transportation. They look at the willingness to commit public funds. They look at the training site. But there's one absolute non-negotiable, according to the uh, FIFA vice president. The pitch is everything. The pitch is sacrosanct. More broadly, the stadium is the single most important factor. So as spectator venues, um, each of the 17 proposed American stadiums, they're sufficient. The difficulty is converting them to soccer venues with natural grass surfaces that are wider than these NFL fields and that don't have any imperfections that mar games that billions of fans around the world are watching. Remember... Above everything else, the World Cup is a television extravaganza. And what matters is the quality of the product that shows up on TV. So this is all going to come to a head on Thursday. And as the world watches with great anticipation to see which cities get selected, I'm just curious from your perspective, do you want it? 800 848 WABC. It's 800 848 9222. open lines. Let me begin with Kevin in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin.
14: Yeah, Frank, um, I think I would absolutely love it because in uh, 94, when it was here, uh, we had, you know, big matches at MetLife, well, it was Giant Stadium at the time, and we didn't even have the uh, the train that goes there now. We didn't have the public transportation, and now we do. I really don't think it would disrupt anything, and and, and in fact. In 94, we broke the attendance record for the World Cup, and it hasn't been a match since. You're kidding. I didn't so, realize that. Hey,
1: let me ask you. Absolutely, yes. The, when you went to the game in 94 at Giant Stadium, were most of the people that ended up going to the game locals, meaning from the New York or New Jersey area, or the people from around the country and around the world?
14: I think it was both, to be honest with you. I went to a few matches. I was, actually went to almost six matches. But uh, the, uh, the one big one was Ireland-Italy. And it was, uh, there were actual Italians there from Italy. I talked to a bunch of them. There were a bunch of Irish from Ireland, but a lot of the people, like you said, were mostly from the area because I mean, obviously we have a lot of Irish and Italian Americans in this area, but it was, it was sold out. It was an amazing match. I think it was about 85% Irish fans to about 15 Italian, but it was, it was amazing. I come from Carney, which is a big soccer town. It's actually called soccer town USA. So we went with bus loads of people. We had, you know, we had bagpipes. We walked into the stadium with the bagpipes. It was it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, think, that sounds like I fun. I don't think it it disrupted anything. To yeah, be honest, uh, you because... know,
1: I don't remember anybody complaining about that years ago. So, um, again, I think maybe it's a great thing for these uh, for for cities, especially cities that aren't as well known as New York. Um, my my kind of beef potentially is if we have to expend substantial amounts of taxpayer money in order to get them here but it sounds like you think it might be worth it even if we have to do that
14: yes definitely and including uh now with the mls they built a lot of uh soccer specific stadiums in the country smaller stadiums yeah. so the like the lesser matches like you know like a saudi arabia or somebody could play in one of those stadiums and you know that'll be great for the local area because a lot of those aren't actually in the cities they're in the outer boroughs. oh that's interesting
1: so like, let's say new york slash new jersey gets chosen as one of these host cities maybe there's a scenario that one of the smaller games maybe like you said saudi arabia could be held at where the staten island Ferry hawks play at the ballpark over there for instance
14: well i, I don't think they would play it in a baseball stadium they have I little so, smaller soccer specific stadiums like red bull Philly has gotcha. a stadium right outside of Philly in Westchester, um, Pennsylvania, where the Philadelphia Union play. They have smaller stadiums that fit, like, anywhere from, like, 18 to, like, 25,000 fans. So they could have those those games in those smaller soccer-specific stadiums. And then the big ones, obviously, would be in, you know, MetLife Stadium and, you know, Chicago Field and stuff. And that's the reason why we broke the attendance record when it was here in 94, because we have so many huge stadiums here. Most countries have one big you know national Stadium, and then they have a bunch of smaller ones where the teams play, except for countries like England, obviously, they have a lot of big stadiums, but most countries don't so that that's the reason why we broke the attendance record. We have so many huge football stadiums, you know Michigan, where they play Tennessee, they fit over a hundred thousand people so you know we could really squeeze uh, them in uh, here in the U.S. All right. Well, uh,
1: Kevin's excited. Uh, there's one enthusiastic vote in favor of yes. He does want the World Cup, and I got to tell you, he made a pretty compelling case. Maybe it is a good thing, right? I, I guess it depends on how much we have to spend in public funds. We waste so much money anyway, right? How much money are we talking about? I have no idea, quite frankly. I'd like to. I'd like to find out, uh, but um, we'll see. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. If you agree, if you disagree, or if you just don't care. Um, But um, it is interesting. I would love to go to one of those Saudi soccer matches because knowing the Saudi royal family and how the Saudi government works, I'm guessing that the poorer performing soccer players for the Saudi national team would probably just be beheaded right there in the soccer stadium. Uh, They'd probably be maybe even more than beheaded, maybe totally dismembered like Jamal Khashoggi. And knowing that the um, Saudis control whoever is in power in the American government, they probably wouldn't have any qualms about doing it. Right in the middle of the day, right in broad daylight, dismember their um, lackluster goalie and then uh, write Biden or Trump or whoever the next president is a giant check and uh, s- buy some more weapons from them and and sell them some more oil at a reduced price. And, you know, we'll get to uh, watch a dismembering of a goalie. It'd be a nice treat for everybody. Uh, I'm going to continue with your calls in just a second. Eight hundred 848 W.A.B.C. Real quick, though, I uh, wanted to bring this to your attention. A famed astronaut has said that the UFOs filmed by the U.S. military over 100 times could be aliens. Tim Peake, one of Great Britain's famous astronauts, also said that the UFOs could be evidence of, you ready for this? Time travel. Time travel. During an interview with Good Morning Britain, Peak, who spent more than six months on the International Space Station, so this is a legitimate guy, he's got some credibility to him, was asked about these videos, which the Pentagon declassified recently. Here's a little bit of what he had to say uh, as he spoke with Good Morning Britain.
15: I I don't think it's the development of uh, any state nation uh, or or non-state organisation, not at all. I think when you see the video footage, it is quite remarkable. Um, uh, It does seem extraordinary as to what these machines are capable of. Mm. Um, There is no explanation for it. Uh, There are several theories about um, could it be something that has been developed in in a classified programme, but then why would this information be made public Absolutely. um, Mm. if that were the case? Is it some sort of uh, uncrewed, uh, 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 sort of robotic-type object from another civilization? Is it something – I heard one theory where a pilot was talking about potentially in the future they've developed time travel. Is it something that's come back from the future? Uh, So there are all these theories going around about what they could be, but ultimately we do not know. So what about that?
1: Could these objects – B, time travel. Now, you can't argue with uh, Tim Peake because not only is he an astronaut, not only is he somebody that spent six months at the International Space Station, but he's got this delightful British accent. And it's not a Cockney accent. It's a real highbrow British accent. And having a highbrow British accent um, automatically makes you significantly smarter or at least makes you perceived as smarter. I, You know, when uh, that woman, Leah called to tell me how dumb I was the other day. I thought about rebutting her with a British accent. But then I was worried about getting fined for masquerading as an intellectual. But I am curious what you think about this, uh, that um, this theory that these UAPs, these UFOs that the military has seen, that individuals can have seen, the Navy has filmed them over 100 times, could they be time travelers as opposed to aliens? And if you want to comment on the World Cup, you're welcome to. We're going to go through your mail in just a bit as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. on that
10: lonesome road to heaven west of
11: Jesus came, oh, pray holy name. He shed the light of his wonderful grace. And every night and day to him I steal away. I found a blessed hiding place. I found a hiding place. I found a hiding place. A, a blessed hiding place. A blessed hiding place. I see a hiding place. I see the a hiding place. A blessed hiding place. A blessed hiding place. I go to hell.
1: The great Bill Monroe, one of the great bluegrass artists of all time, singing. Uh, I have ha- I've found a hiding place. If you ever want to know uh, what kind of bumper music we're playing on this show, just join our Facebook group. At uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters, you can go to Facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. And we also encourage you to participate in the robust discussion about the show. So if I bring up something that you agree with, that you disagree with, that you have questions about, or you want to add additional insight to uh that's the place to do it just join that facebook group and uh you'll have the added bonus of being able to hear what the artists are and see which songs we play each and every morning coming up uh around 3:30 we're going to talk with the great tony danza uh nobody like tony danza he is a uh, a man among men a talent among talents and uh, we actually pre-recorded this interview yesterday afternoon and uh, he was a delight An absolute delight. uh, Yesterday morning, actually. So uh, not a lot of people that I wake up in the middle of the morning for. And uh, Tony Danza happens to be one. And uh, this is a discussion that you are not going to want to miss. Talking a little bit about the World Cup, Thursday is D-Day, decision day for FIFA. They're making the decision about which cities, including which American cities, are going to be getting to host these games. My question for you is, do you want the games? Do you care? Yes, no, maybe, 800-848-WABC. Also, uh, the rather shocking story that is covered in the New York Post, among other outlets, by a famed astronaut, Tim Peake, where he says he thinks these UAPs that the military has been seeing might, in fact, be time travelers from the future, humans from the future, traveling back in time to look at us. What do you make of that? You think it's plausible? Obviously, we don't know. I don't know. You don't know, unless you do. If you do, tell me. But if you don't, know, but most of us don't know. So, I think it might be plausible. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let me say hello to you, John in Freehold. Hello, John.
16: Hey, what's up, Frank? Pleasure as always. Likewise. Um, I'd like to comment on both the chocolate and the alien thing. Is okay? Go,
1: go ahead, go nuts.
16: All right. So first of all, I don't think we should have the World Cup match here in either New Jersey or New York because people come here from all over. the They're going to come here from all over the world to see it. And right now, there's just way too many drug addicts and homeless people. We're going to flock to those places, and it's going to be really embarrassing for us, I think.
1: Well, that's interesting. You know, I remember in 1977 when the Yankees were in the uh, World Series. That was the famous World Series with um, Reggie Jackson hitting uh, hitting the home runs and everything. I think the Yankees played the Dodgers. Uh, you had, I believe it was Howard Cosell uh, talking about how it, while the Yankees won the World Series – the Bronx was burning. And you're right. It was not exactly a positive image for the Bronx to be putting out to the national stage. And I guess what you're saying is that would be magnified by six continents if we had that with New York and New Jersey. You'd still still see the quality of life issues that we're contending with, um, and the rest of the world would get a look at what, what what we deal with on a regular basis. Is that what you're saying?
16: Yeah, I mean, you know, just take a walk through Penn Station and uh, how many people are going to come up to you? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. You know? And well, then, um, yeah. oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. No, it's an in- interesting point, but go ahead. What was your other point?
16: And then, um, I actually think uh, I actually had that same thought that it might be humans from the future, all these UAPs or UFOs. Because I feel like, uh, I don't know, as far as other creatures and aliens and stuff, I don't know if maybe we're just too far away from them, but I could definitely buy that, uh, you know, we invented time travel in the future, and people are just coming back to observe how, you know, how we lived, what we were doing. I think it's plausible.
1: All right. Well, we'll we'll see what happens, Uh, John. Thank you. If you want to comment, you can do so. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Tom is in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Hello, Tom.
9: Good morning, Frank. It's been a while since we spoke last. We spoke about restaurants about four or five months ago.
1: I've missed you, Tom. I don't know where you've been hiding.
9: <laughs> anyway, um, the caller had a few calls ago beat me to the punch. I used to work in a restaurant in Secaucus in 94 when they had the World Cup. And there was no difference in anything that happens at NetLife Stadium or Giant Stadium at the time. People forget that. This is one of the stadiums that's always sold out. So you can only have so many people in there. The World Cup would not increase that. So um, 75,000 people that come to that stadium on a given Sunday. Is there a
1: net benefit to New Jersey and local New Jersey businesses to having the World Cup? Or would they do just as well having any sporting event there?
9: I, I think I think you just hit the button on the head there. It's um, I, it's hard to say. There are people that are going to come from obviously out of country to see this i'm not sure what the benefit would be um they're going to come mainly, mainly to new york city and stay obviously stay in the hotels around the meadowlands stay in the hotels in the city that might increase business a little bit but it's not like having the olympics here that's a whole different story you're talking about one event in right. one contained gotcha. spot
1: so it sounds like you're also it, an enthusiastic yes for this world cup
9: Oh, I mean, I mean not I even mean, enthusiastic. It's just I don't think it's going to make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. It's not going to cause problems. Okay. All like right. I said, you know how the, the those the Giants and Jets, they sell out every time.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, that's true. You're uh, not going to
9: put more people in there for the World Cup. <laughs> uh, that,
1: hell, that's true. Thank you, Tom. The Fugazi, Tom, is in the Bronx. Hello, Fugazi, Tom.
7: So what's up, my brother? Okay, look, as far as the state, you know, benefits. That's what I'm talking about. What is it going to benefit the surrounding area or the, the, the city or something where that? I got to pay my taxes for that? Then, you know, come on. If I'm paying for it, then give me something back.
1: Yeah, you know? and, and, and you really nailed my only concern about this whole thing. How much is it going to cost the taxpayers? And what is the return on the investment for the taxpayers? And I really don't know the answer to either of those questions.
7: Yeah, and the, the second question, but um, why not? Because we can't explain our existence here. So why not other people existing or time travelers and all that? Because we can't explain our, our existence. All we know is that we're here and everything is here perfectly for us. You know what I'm saying? Where we come from? So yeah. why not other aliens or time travelers or something like that? Why not? If we're possible... Why not?
1: Well, which scenario do you think is more likely, aliens or time travelers?
7: Uh, well, uh, I mean, any anything that's not from this planet is aliens. I I wouldn't different. Diff, diff, I wouldn't uh, have a difference in them. They are aliens, and if they are time travelers, they don't have to be time travelers. But if they were, they're still alien to us. Unless they're humans, you know, but so I don't, I don't separate that. I don't put nothing past the alien, you know, if he came
1: here. Yeah, well, So it that, could be all of that. That is, that is true, Fugazi, Tom. That is certainly true. Thank you very much for the call. So we're going to go through your letters in just a minute. But first, there's one letter that I got right after the show yesterday, right at 5 o'clock, and, um, and I got a bunch of letters all essentially saying the same thing. I think the, the people were commenting in the Facebook group, but I got a bunch of letters to this effect. A caller brought up yesterday the scene in Airplane where um, a woman is nervous and basically all the airplane passengers, and, and including Leslie Nielsen, they all line up to smack her to calm her down. Uh, we played the clip yesterday. If you're not familiar with the film, this is the clip from Airplane.
11: Stuart, please, let me handle this.
17: Okay. Yes. 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 Calm down. Now get back to your
18: seat. I'll take care of this. Calm down. Calm down.
11: Get a hold
18: of yourself. Don't
11: do your want on the phone. Everything's going to be right
10: I've
1: So, now, I asked the caller that called in yesterday if he knew what actress... Played that woman. Now uh, Matt Blaze, who perpetually thinks he's in an episode of Jeopardy where he has to buzz in quickly, and he thinks he's rewarded for speedy answers rather than rather than correct ones, he co- comments and says that it was Barbara Billingsley. Now that uh, seemed to make sense to me, right? Because I knew Barbara Billingsley played one of the passengers in airplane, and. Lo and behold, this is what I get for going along with Matt Blaze. I look like the biggest dope there is because... I was deluged with emails, Facebook messages, tweets, SMS, text messages, correspondence that I didn't even know I was capable of. I walked out of here. There were faxes waiting for me. I walked downstairs as I was leaving the building. The, the guy Omar, the doorman Omar, says there was a telegram for me. I, I go down the block to where my car was parked. Uh, King Henry was there with a singing telegram for me, all saying the same thing. Oh,
19: it's horrible.
1: It's horrible. Which it's horrible. is that Barbara Billingsley was not Repeat, not the panicked lady in Airplane. She was the jive interpreter who spoke jive and had no problem interpreting in scenes like this one.
10: Mm-hmm. Can I get you something?
18: It's mofo butter into the bone.
5: Jack me up. tight me.
11: I'm sorry, I don't understand.
5: Cuddy say can't hang. Oh, Stewardess, I speak Jive. Oh, good. He
16: said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him.
5: All
11: right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine?
5: Just hang loose blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the medside.
18: What it is, big mama. My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Copy
5: some slack, Jeff. Yeah?
1: So now, here we are. I am forced to issue a retraction here because Airplane, which is a film that I pretend to know something about occasionally, I was lulled into going along with Matt Blaze's response who in his eagerness to be first um, and, I guess, fearful that we might send him back to Tommy Tommy G or Tommy C or that guy that was mad at us for stealing Matt Blaze and for trading a uh, an engineer to be named later for him. He, he fooled me, and I went along with this, this radio peer pressure. So I apologize for anybody that thought that that panicked passenger was Barbara Billingsley. Now... Um,
20: do you have anything to say for yourself, Mr. Uh, Absolutely. Matt please? Yes, let's hear it. If you listen to the call, mm-hmm. you asked him who was the actress that played the nervous woman. And he said, I don't know. I only know the stewardess who you then named right, as Julie Haggard. Julie Haggard. Now, there was two stewardesses that had high-pitched voices. You know the main one. The main, but then he said, yeah. I don't know. I only, I don't know. And then he said, I don't know who the older woman is. The older woman mm. is Barbara Billingsley. It's not the nervous passenger. So then he, said, he was the one who said the older woman. So that's why I said Barbara Billingsley, because Barbara Billingsley was the older woman.
1: Now, the big loser in this whole thing is everybody listening, because we now still do not know the actress— who played that panicked, <laughs> nervous woman on the plane, do we?
20: Well, she wasn't anybody famous. I,
1: yeah, well, that's what <laughs> I'm trying to find knows. out. So she's not anybody famous. She's so obscure I, that nobody knows who she is. If she's out there, please call in. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I hate to do that. I hate to give out incorrect information, even if it's about a 42-year-old film. Uh, but we take our air, airplane commentary very seriously. So seriously that I'm expecting many more letters on the next edition of... a piece of snail mail from Darren in Massapequa, a.k.a. Matza Pizza. Dear Frank, a question for your perusal. Who would you have the greatest chance of defeating on the field of battle? The rock-like burrowing horda from Devil in the Dark, that's a Star Trek episode. The slow-moving lizard-like gorn from the arena, also a Star Trek episode, or... An incredibly fat, inc- exceedingly hungry Tribble from the Trouble with Tribbles. Now, honestly, I think the answer to this one is easy. I think the answer is the Tribble. Now, I know that the Tribbles are troublesome, and perhaps even troublesome, because they breed so quickly, but the Gorn will kill you. The Horda will kill you. The Tribble's not killing anybody. So if I have a, any kind of a weapon, whether it's a phaser or just a pistol or a club, and I have to battle one of these creatures, I think I'm battling the, the Tribble. And then he has another piece of paper here, different color piece of paper, very interesting. And it says, please don't read this page on air, which I don't understand. Why doesn't he want to read, read this page on air? And then he includes a, um, a trivia question about the Howard Stern show from 34 years ago And I got to tell you, I thought I knew the Howard Stern show pretty well, Darren, but I got to tell you, I do not know the answer to your question. All right, this is a uh, piece of email here from a gentleman named L. Brodericks in response to a segment we did on Thursday morning. Frank, between 3:05 and 3:20 a.m. on June 9th, those sudden howling noises on your show became extremely disturbing. Our neighbors even knocked on the door a few minutes ago and claimed their children were being frightened and couldn't go to sleep, couldn't go back to sleep. It's truly inconsiderate of your staff to play any noisy audio, including loud music, especially on an overnight talk show. If we hear the howling one more time... We will stop listening to your show for at least a few weeks. In view of the most unwelcome commercials and repetitive and boring hosts on the radio, we enjoy listening to Cats, O'Reilly, and you whenever we're awake overnight. So, there you have it. Uh, that's it. I guess no more Wolf Howells, Matt Blaze, in my uh, continuing efforts to pander to the audience the way Lee Zeldin panders to voters. I will, uh, I will not... I don't want to frighten any children that are listening with howls. This is uh, a, a postcard from a gentleman named Scott. Looks like, um, I don't know, looks like the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, Hi, Frank. I want to wish you and your wife and your son, Carmine, a wonderful summer. Love your show. Stay safe, Scott. Well, that's awfully nice. Very nice. I, I forget. Do we start this trend? Are we encouraging listeners to send me postcards from... From elsewhere? I think we are. So if you, uh, if you want to send a postcard, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, our P.O. Box is um, uh, P.O. Box 17. Here, uh, hang, hang on, I'll tell you what it is in a second. Just send it to WABC Radio. Send it to my attention, Frank Moreno. P.O. Box 1777. P.O. Box 1777. Just think of the American Revolution plus one year. My attention, New York, New York, 10163. That's 10163. All right, this is an email here from Michelle, Michelle Marsh. Hi, Frank. I'm not even sure why I'm writing this, but I just can't listen to your show anymore. I just find what you have to offer in the form of entertaining, I think she means entertainment. I find what you have to offer in the form of entertaining to be so subpar. You're a very pompous individual, which really irritates me. I'll be listening to my podcasts that interest me by Frank. Now, the interesting thing about this lady is she has emailed me dozens of times loving the Atlantic City segments we do. So uh, we hate to lose you, Michelle, but um, don't let the door hit you in the backside on the way out. All right. This is from Joseph in Monroe, New York. Oh, I like this. There's a drawing and everything. I love this. The drawing. Look at this. History of radio. Other side of midnight with Dr. Radio, Frank Moreno. I don't love that as a nickname, Dr. Radio. I prefer the resplendent independent. You know, like they used to have Chris uh, Chris Hahn, the um, whatever his title was. The aggressive, aggressive progressive. progressive, yeah, he's, he's the aggressive progressive. I'm I'm the resplendent independent, and so this is nice. It's a nice drawing here. Cow over the moon, and it's a picture of like a moon, like you'd see in a cartoon. Those of you watching on Instagram later can see, and a little WABC microphone, and it says 77 WABC. How it started before there was cell phones. And there's a drawing of something before there were cell phones. I like this. It's like a picture book. Or the TV, television, Ed Sullivan is on the TV. The drawing of television. This guy put a lot of effort into this. Thank you, Joseph. Before the computer, before is spelled incorrectly here, but what he lacks in uh, spelling, he makes up for in artistry. Uh, there was me. I am Marconi who made it happen as thus I transmitted what would be me, the Marconi. The radio was on the Titanic in 1912 with the sinking apparent Carpathia was found. Radio transitions, I think he means transmissions, would save many lives. The summoned, a call that day made history, and before long there was WABC. This goes on, but not too long. Kids have short attention span. Oh, I get it. This is a a template for a children's book. I love this. I'll invest in this. Are we self-publishing this? Going to be a partner? You? Well, I want to proofread the spelling before we publish this, Joseph. You get it. I release all rights to my works to you, Frank. Love you, Joe Izzo. The rest you get. Don't forget me. All right. He released his rights. So if we could partner with maybe a slightly better artist and self-publish this, I'd like to put this out there. I'd like to publish this. I think that would be a lot of fun as a children's book. All right. Back to the email we go. This is an email from Teresa. Hi, Frank. I listen to your show when I can't sleep. By the way, those of you that are, find yourselves in that situation, sleep is no excuse not to listen. One, you should keep us up while you're sleeping, but keep us on while you're sleeping because I actually invade your dreams. People start listening to me. I'm like Freddy Krueger, a radio Freddy Krueger without the murder. And people start listening to me while they're awake, then they fall asleep, and then whatever I'm saying becomes the backdrop of your dreams Uh, and I'm with you in your dream and whatever I'm saying did that ever happen to you it happens to me all the time I think the movie Inception which over overall I thought was a motion picture that was a little overrated but I thought it did a good job capturing how what happens in real life influences what you see in your dreams so if you if you see me in your dreams right now then picture me poking you in the ear, actually lightly tugging on your right ear. Can you feel it? If you're asleep, I'm betting you can. All right. This is Ther- but uh, for the rest of you that uh, can't listen to the show because you sleep at normal times, listen to the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano on any podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, or just go to FMWABC.com. You can hear all the podcasts there. Teresa writes, Hi, Frank. I listen to your show and I can't sleep. I really enjoyed your talk with Jim McGreevy." He's such an inspiring example of redemption and goodness. I live in New Jersey, and if he runs for any office there, I believe I will now vote for him. Okay. This is from Henry in Manhattan. It's a quote. Type down. Quote. Archimedes will be remembered when... I'm, I'm going to embarrass myself by not knowing my Greek, my ancient Greeks. Archimedes will be remembered when... Essek, a, a syclus is forgotten because languages die and mathematical ideas do not. Immortality may be a silly word, but probability, but probably a mathematician has the best chance of whatever it may mean. Very interesting. All right. All right. I, uh, I dig that. Um, all right. This is from, oh, that's from the yeah, in Massapequa. Uh, this is a book. From Brett, it's, uh, it's called Manhattan Cult Story. This looks interesting. Frank Deirdre from Core 4 asked me to send to you. I hope you find it interesting that we could speak on your show. All right. Well, I will give this uh, book a read. Manhattan Cult Story, Abuse, Crime, Sex, and My Life Inside a Secret Organization. Well, isn't that fun? Uh, I like that a lot. Okay. Uh, all right, We'll right. Uh, we'll do two more here. Uh, Why don't we finish with two from prison, okay? Um, Hi, Frank. Thank you for accepting my email. I've been in MDC, Brooklyn, going on 30 months. That's a federal prison here in New York. And I have listened to your show since it started. Being on lockdown for over a year during COVID was extremely tough, and your show helped me get through each night. Thank you. I wanted to email you for a while, but never had the courage until now. If you ever do reference me on your show about any of the emails I may send going forward, if you would refer to me as Chris from Brooklyn, it would be appreciated. There are a bunch of us here who listen to you every night and then talk about your show the next day. Last week, you had a question about your baby monitor, and I know this was the case with mine. I believe the reason sometimes is... It's in black and white, is based on lighting in the room. When it's bright in the room, either from a lamp or natural light like the sun, it shows in color. But when it's dark in the room, it goes into night vision mode, which is black and white. I hope that makes sense. Thanks again for accepting my email. I look forward to talking with you and being a part of your show in the future. Now, that's nice. Uh, I am very proud that while we are not only number one in New York City, I am very proud that we are number one In all of the area jails and prisons. By the way, if you're in prison right now, uh, email me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how things are going. Love to hear um, what conditions are like for you. Love to hear what the prisoners are saying about this show and spread the word for us out there because radio is one of the forms of entertainment that you're allowed out there. All right. um, I think we'll slam the lid on uh, this aspect of things for today. Oh, by the way, I got a nice email here from John who says that lady. From the airplane is Lee Bryant, and she actually lives on the Upper West Side. So that's it. She's still alive. Yes, that is Lee Bryant. I have confirmed that. And she also appeared as uh, Sam Waterston's wife in the 1977 conspiracy thriller Capricorn 1. I didn't realize that. I saw Capricorn 1. All right. Well, we're going to reach out to her. We're going to try and get her on this show. Uh, By the way, uh, still to come, Tony Danza coming up in about 40 minutes. Thank you for that, John. I appreciate that. Uh, If anything ever happens to Matt Blaze or if uh, Tommy C or Tommy G tries to claim him back on waivers, I hope you'll be available to produce this show. Um, And I want to thank a fellow by the name of Third Degree Burns that also wrote saying that it was actress Lee Bryant. Thank you, everybody, for that. We're going to reach out to Lee Bryant and uh, find out if she's irked at us for Matt claiming that she was Barbara Billingsley. All right, uh, that concludes this edition of
11: Another letter from my list
0: birthday. WABC. The other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. <laughs>
1: late great prince partying like it's 1999 you know i went to some parties in 1999 they were not so great they were not any better than the parties in 1998 or 2000 i must say overall uh from my perspective all right 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far. Open phone lines, and we will take your calls next hour. The great uh, Tony Danza will be here. Uh, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. True story you're about to hear. It was Saturday morning in the midst of Smirconish. And you know me, I try not to do anything while Smirconish is on. But Saturday, the whole weekend was one of those crap, really rough days where right? I just had activity after activity after activity after activity. So I, we had to leave the house by 10 o'clock because my wife and I were going to give blood. Little did my wife know that she was not going to have a sufficient iron level to donate blood. But thankfully, I donated enough for both of us. So we, have, we don't have central air in our home. We have window units and one giant unit in the main dining room, and every summer or the beginning of the summer season, I have to install all these air conditioning devices. Now, the ones that are tough to install, meaning they're in a precarious spot... I tap into my dad for assistance in this. He always helps me because he's very handy, and I am not. We don't want, you know, for instance, the one that's in my son's bedroom, not only do I want it to function well so that my six-month-old son is kept cool, but it's on the second floor of our home, so I don't want it to fall and break, you know, from the second story to the ground. So, lo and behold, I invite my friend, uh, Brendan Lantry, to help me with the other air conditioning units. And Saturday was the day that we installed our final air conditioning unit in my office. But here's what happened. When I went outside to hold the air conditioner in place, I actually went to the wrong room. And I thought I was holding an air conditioner in place. Turns out it was the wrong air conditioner. And I ended up pushing in an air conditioner that was already installed and making it come loose. So we had to reinstall that air conditioner plus the new one. So my thanks to Brendan Lantry for his assistance in operation AC. Not air, not Atlantic City, but air conditioning. Keep asking questions.
0: This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: If there's one thing that I am an observer of, it's trends. I am a, I don't want to say I'm a trendsetter, although I should be, but uh, I'm certainly a trend observer. I like to, love to watch, watch what's going on. And I don't think there's a place where it's easier to observe what's happening when it comes to food and drink than... Well, to observe trends, rather, than in the world of food and drink, right? Um, You know, the old expression, sun-dried tomatoes, where were they five years ago? It's true. Prior to 25 years ago, I've never had a sun-dried tomato. Prior to 20 years ago, did you ever go to a restaurant and see burrata on the menu? Never. Never. Not even in Italy, really. And then these foods just exploded. Different foods have their moment. Kale had a nice moment. Uh, You're seeing now a big um, push towards cauliflower crusts. Sometimes these trends are driven by a popular recipe. Sometimes these trends are driven by a nutritional necessity. Remember the the movement towards healthy ice cream, all those healthy ice creams that are packed with protein and have almost no calories. Uh, There's like three brands. I think one is Halo Top, one is... Arctic, whatever, there's three of them. And that was big. That was all the rage for a while. The alternative wh- milks, cashew milk, almond milk, soy milk, oat milk, that is still all the rage. Five years ago, six years ago maybe, would you ever think you'd go to a coffee shop and you'd have the option of getting your coffee with oat milk? Wouldn't happen. But the trend was such that and, – and Malcolm Gladwell, who I'd love to get on this show – Malcolm Gladwell's written a lot about this, and uh, I think he, uh, I've read a few of his books, so they kind of blend in my uh, brain, but I think the one where he focuses most on this is called The Tipping Point, where sometimes society gets to a spot, like where, okay, for starters, one out of every thousand people are getting to, are are, um, using oat milk. Then there's this magic point, this tipping point. Where once you get to say a hundred people out of a thousand, everyone's using it. it becomes trendy well, like I said there's no place where it's easier to observe trends than at the bar and i am a I am a bar patron I am a guy that uh if you ask me among my favorite places to meet people, it will be a moderately noisy bar, meaning you can have a conversation over it, whether it 's music or conversation or um conversation or television set, I'm all about, you know, being able to have a conversation. So I watched with great interest what was happening in this country and in this city 16 years ago, and I watched and I observed as brown liquors made a comeback. When I was hanging around and palling around 20-something years ago, when I first started going to bars, nobody was ordering scotch. Nobody was ordering bourbon. Nobody was ordering rye. Nobody. Maybe if you went to an Irish uh, pub somewhere and you're with some old men, maybe they'd order, a, they'd get a shot of Jameson to finish their meal at lunch. Other than that, brown liquors were not big. You weren't seeing people order Manhattans. You weren't. And then an interesting thing happened. Out of nowhere, it seemed, these brown liquors exploded. I covered this with a bartender that we had on recently. He was great. And I'm going to have him back, and we'll, we'll have him bring, make some drinks in studio. But these brown liquors exploded. And some people attribute this, at least in part, to the rise of the television program Mad Men where they're drinking bourbon and whiskey and all sorts of brown liquors like crazy. And people would see what was going on on Mad Men, and then they would engage in the same kind of thing. A couple of years before that, the same kind of thing happened with The Cosmopolitan because of the television program Sex and the City. People would watch Sex and the City and think, oh, well, that looks good. That sounds like it tastes good. Maybe I'll go and get it to Cosmopolitan. Before Sex and the City a lot of bartenders didn't even know how to make a Cosmopolitan. Now, that's got to be one of your go-to drinks. You mean, meaning you, ha- you can't bartend without knowing how to make a Cosmopolitan. And then, interesting thing happened eight years ago. Out of nowhere, a vodka brand that I had never heard of suddenly became ubiquitous. Tito's. Tito's Vodka. Which came out of nowhere, and look, you want to try something interesting? And I have the video on my Facebook page. I think it's still up there. If you go to Facebook.com uh, slash MoranoFan and then go to videos, you'll see this video I did on New Year's Day about seven, six years ago. And I did a blind taste test with 16 different vodkas. Four different people, 16 different vodkas. And not one of them selected Tito's as their brand of choice including one guy who claimed that that was his favorite vodka. That's the vodka he would go to the liquor store and buy. That's the vodka that he would go to bars and order. He didn't even pick Tito's in a blind taste test. So Tito's, for whatever reason, and I think it was through a masterful stroke of marketing, Tito's came out of nowhere and became the go-to vodka in this country about eight years ago. And we covered in our segment recently on Food and Spirits... The rise of the martini. The martini, last two years, has come out of nowhere to make a monstrous comeback. A monstrous comeback. So what's next? Well, should I say, what's now? There is a spirit which has made a monstrous comeback over the last six months. It's actually a family of spirits, but we'll make it the broader umbrella of spirits. Do you have any idea what it is? Any idea? Anyone? Any idea? What spirit do you think it is? The spirit that has taken over the bar in 2022, tequila. Tequila and mezcal are in the midst Of a rapid rise in popularity, vaulting agave-based spirits, which both tequila and mezcal are, to the top of the liquor cabinet. This is according to Bloomberg. Listen to this. American consumers will spend more on tequila and mezcal than whiskey. So they will likely also surpass vodka by next year. By next year, there are going to be more... Agave spirit sales, meaning tequila and mezcal, then vodka. Did you ever think you'd see the day? That's going to be next year if trends continue. Making the combo of tequila and mezcal, you ready for this? The most purchased spirit category in the United States by value. Mezcal, if you're not familiar with it, it's known for its smoky flavor. It saw, listen to these numbers. I find these numbers staggering. And I'm curious if you have any explanation as to why. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Mezcal saw U.S. consumption jump 53% in 2021. 53% in one year for a drink that's been around forever. What's driving it? What's it all about, Alfie? 800-848-9222. Tequila, similar, not as pronounced as Mezcal. Tequila saw a rapid uptick, 27%. So combined, mezcal and tequila, the two are expected to fuel 81% growth in the agave category in the United States by 2026. So what's behind this? There are three theories that's been written about in Bloomberg and in The Hustle, but if you have additional theories, I'd love to know. Because I'd love to do whatever tequila is doing to market myself. They're saying some of it, and this is why I think this radio show might be a good, in some ways, the tequila of radio. They say one of the tricks is versatility. Sippable, high-end offerings have pushed tequila beyond just shots and margaritas. While Mezcal can substitute for tequila, it can also be used in drinks that would otherwise call for scotch or whiskey. So that's interesting. Look, you can't make a Manhattan with vodka. But I guess maybe you can substitute whiskey with uh, tequila. Here's an interesting one. The health factor. Now, it is look, alcohol is not a health food, as we all know. Um, 100% agave tequila is gluten-free. It's low in calories. It has fewer congeners, which means it leads to less hangovers, than almost any other spirit. So people are drinking tequila because they don't want the hangover, and they don't want to be healthy. And then there's the broad appeal. Tequila and mezcal consumption, uh, they say, span age groups, gender, culture, and occasion. So it gives a wide margin. Like, for instance... You're not going to drink um, eggnog in the summer, right? Tequila you will. You're not going to drink one of those uh, you know in the, uh, around Christmas time, you're not going to drink a frozen strawberry daiquiri. Tequila you will. So it's not tied to kind of those changes in season like other drinks might be. And there's also the celebrity factor. You got George Clooney, you got Kendall Jenner, you got Ava Longoria, you got Justin Timberlake, Michael Imperioli from the Sopranos. These are just a few of the famous figures that are dipping their toes in the tequila pool. So, the, And by the way, this is international. This is not just something that is local, unique to the United States. The growth of tequila and mezcal is exploding in the U.K., Russia, Germany, and Japan. So if you're looking for the next mezcal, that's something to invest in. We'll see. Uh, I don't know where this is going, but Mezcal and Tequila are in the midst of a spirit explosion. Uh, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. Now, uh, for many, many generations, scores of TV viewers have been saying the same thing That Hank Hill has said for years, since the 1970s, to be precise, many, many Americans, many, many people around the world have said those magic words.
0: I laugh at Tony Danza. 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 Danza. All right, that's it.
1: I laugh at Tony Danza. Whether it's been Taxi, whether it's been Who's the Boss, whether it's been Hudson Street, whether it's been the producers on Broadway, whether it's been the Tony Danza show on television, whether it's been motion pictures like Angels in the Outfield, I don't know that there's someone that has had the kind of versatility as a performer that Tony Danza has. And I had the opportunity to chat with Tony Danza um, yesterday morning after the show, and uh, you're going to hear that conversation coming up in about 10 minutes because he is performing tonight through June 25th at the Cafe Carlisle. And he's a great guy. And he's someone that I wishes would run for mayor or governor. He's a great guy who I think is just a wonderful, wonderful human being and uh, somebody I'm a great admirer of. I know Tony Danza a little bit not well, um, but he's kind enough whenever he sees me to kind of upwardly nod like he does remember who I am. And then, you know, whenever we text message or whatever, he always uh, is kind (laughs) enough to remember who I am. And then, uh it seems like in New York though everybody has a Tony Danza story. So we'll we'll ask him to share some of the stories cuz that's the premise of this show tonight. Stories and standards he does his fair share of both. So we'll get into that in just a minute. 800-848-WABC Sean in Staten Island what is behind the explosion of tequila and mezcal?
10: Um
17: goody good morning. Um yeah, I think Maybe not particularly the tequila thing, but I think um, tequila is the type of spirit where it's a party. It's a party drink, and I think COVID, the lockdowns, um, exponentially increased people just doing that, drinking more. You don't have to get up for work in the morning commute if you're working from home, and you could sleep it off better. I just think 2020 leached into 2021, and we're seeing that spike. Because of that, I—that's my opinion. All right,
1: right. well, your opinion is as valid as anybody else's. Do you, so. You—you you think this trend is going to continue?
17: I think it'll level off. I think it'll plateau. And I mean, like you mentioned, Tito's earlier. Until the next, you know, the next thing comes along. That's just a thing now. kill is the thing. You know. It was, right. That, it was, I mean, that's uh, what a
1: trend is. You know.
17: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was Gold, Goldmeister, Rumplemans, you know, it was all that back in the day, and it's just that thing, Jameson, you know. Right. I don't drink. I just know I've been around it.
1: So. Yeah, no, clearly I, I can uh, I can tell. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'll we'll see a comeback of any of those old fashioned liquors or liqueurs. Imagine that. Imagine if five years from now you go to a bar, you see somebody belly up to the bar, and they order elderflower. Right? Can you imagine? Although I guess St. Germain is a little flower, right? But, uh, hey, you know, i tell you a trend that I'd like to bring back is I grew up doing something which they eliminated maybe about two years ago. A little less than that. I am a guy that at the end, when I type, whether it's on a typewriter or a computer, I do a double space after the period. Now, two or three years ago, Microsoft Word discontinued that. They stopped that, and that's basically the standard. So now you see all these people um, who have done away. I mean, look, it was trending away from that already. You were already seeing people getting rid of the double period. And... I'm wondering if there's any way to bring this back, because I tried to go along with everybody on this. I tried to do the right thing and conform to society. I did. I did. I know what you're saying. Come on. You're the Connecticut guy. You're the maple syrup guy. You didn't try to conform. I did. I made an effort, and I couldn't stop. I've been doing the double space after a sentence, after a period my whole life. I couldn't just stop. So now I do it in tweets. I'm not even trying to stop anymore. I'm trying to turn back the clock. Do you remember where, you know, um, after the French Revolution and everything, you saw all these monarchs um, in Europe, Germany, France, try to turn back the clock and you saw all these folks move back towards monarchy for a time. That's what I want to do. I want to move back to a double space after a period. And I am tired of having people ridicule me and message me because I use a double space after a period. But, and I'm not talking about women's menstrual issues at all. This is exclusively punctuation, and typing. So if you're someone that's with me on the double space after a period, be proud of that double space. Join me. It was after Napoleon, not the French Revolution. It was in the 19th century. Join me in using this double space. 800-848-WABC. Uh, Mikey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Mikey.
21: Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? Good morning. That's good. I hope. That everybody's enjoying the show as I am.
1: Oh, good. Well, I'm glad you are.
21: <laughs> I got to ask you something. I'm not a drinker, but do they still, is 7 and 7 still a drink?
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, it uh, it still is. You don't see, you know what? You've seen kind of a movement away from soda in general, but yes, I still people, I still see people uh, order a 7 and 7. Absolutely.
21: And I used to drink way back in the day. Brandy Alexander's.
1: Ah, yes. And
21: they said to me, oh, you shouldn't drink that. That's a woman's drink. I said, well, I don't care who it is. I like
1: it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is, you know, that could be quite delicious. It is rich, though. I mean, it's yeah, tough. It's you can't really have more than one without getting a pretty big stomach ache. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, no, it's, oh. got, it's got like, a, what is it? There's cream in there, uh, cognac, <laughs> creme de coco. And it's I a very rich drink.
21: Is it coconut milk in there? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's creme de coco, which is Creme similar. de coco. Yeah.
21: Yeah, and also, uh, on the other night, you did a segment about what's healthy and all this stuff uh, to live longer and, and enjoy life. Well, pickle juice, I've been doing pickles for years, and the pickle juice I put on a sandwich.
1: <laughs> really? Well, that's impressive. You were ahead of the game. You had no idea you were such a trendsetter yourself.
21: No, oh, I mean it's it's really good stuff. I, th- I, you know what, pickle juice to me is very healthy.
1: Uh, well, I, I think you're right. That's been borne out by the data, Mikey.
21: And also, uh, <laughs> activity in the bedroom is very nice too.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure, Mikey. Uh,
21: <laughs> by, I, by the way, f- yeah. before before I go, D. Martin had a segment on his show way back in the '70s called Letters, lots of letters. We get lots of letters. Now you're doing the email. That's well, great.
1: Well, thank you. I think um, I think it was actually Perry Como's show.
21: Was it Perry Como? Yeah, he I had a, a similar to jingle on. to He's the one that we played. Let's go play. to the couch and uh, read the letters. Might, it might have know. been both.
1: It might have been both. I know yeah. the jingle was similar on, uh, on Perry Como. Thank you well, very much for the call, Mikey, and the nice compliments. Enjoy the pickle juice. 800 848 WABC still to come the great tony danzer will join us and uh let me say hello to jr in brooklyn it is jr right
19: it is jr correct Just excellent like Dallas.
1: wonderful okay what's on your mind jr
19: oh, your um two things first of all Um, They don't make a space big enough following the woman's menstruation period. Well, it's a double double, or triple this. You just can't get far (laughs) enough away. But uh, secondly, your tequila uptick is definitely because of a surge with um, rap music and hip-hop community um, are big into tequilas right now, especially uh, Casamigos tequila.
1: Now, what prompted that? Now, I don't dispute that maybe – that's been one of the, things, the the reasons for the upward trend. What prompted that, though?
19: So you could follow it, actually, too, what you were saying with your cognac and your brown liquors. 20 years ago, every rapper was talking about um, a different cognac, a different um, Like Nobody drank Kovacier. And then 20, 20 years ago, it shot through the roof as well. So the the more modern younger musical trends will affect your alcohol purchasing and your alcohol trends, just like country music and perhaps blue ribbon. Oh well, that's
1: interesting. I I wouldn't have realized that, but it makes sense, Jr. All right, thank you. 800-848-WABC Clement is in Brooklyn. Hello, Clement.
10: Well, the
22: Turn your
1: radio off. Corey is in Florida. Hello, Corey.
23: Hey, Frank. So, I I I do uh I have I've become recently a tequila drinker. Uh the Silver Force. Um uh, because tequila is not supposed to be um aged uh because of the agave and the low calories and it goes along with um some of these diets. Um another thing is mezcal is basically like a low quality crap tequila but for some reason you will find it more expensive to get a mezcal than tequila just because it's trendy or hip, I guess, you know?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I guess that makes sense.
23: Yeah, but uh, it it is better for you, and it does go along with diets uh, and should be drank silver, clear, and uh, the mezcal is a lower quality tequila, basically not 100% pure agave. It'll it's 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 like the bottom of the barrel, whatever they've, chuck in whatever in there. Well, no, and I mean it, the mezcal. It just
1: has to do with where it's made. Uh, tequila has to be made in a specific region of Mexico, and if it's made from agave, but it's not from, um, you know, you know, in the in the area surrounding Guadalajara, then it's mezcal. It's kind of like uh, champagne and sparkling white wine.
23: I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, that's my understanding. Again, I don't pretend to be a tequila expert, but that's my understanding.
23: Okay. My understanding was the mezcal was kind of all kinds of agave and whatever, uh, and tequila, like 100% pure agave. I didn't know that that was supposed to come from a region, such like you're saying champagne and Prosecco, like that.
1: Right, that's my understanding. Uh, again, I, I stand to be corrected. Corey, thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Mary Ann is in the state of Indiana. Hello, Mary Ann.
9: Hi, Frank. Hi. Um, I was calling about the uh liquor the uh, what is a moscato? I, I've never heard of it. A
1: Moscato, uh not to be confused with Mezcal. A Moscato is a sparkling white wine. It's similar to a Champagne, but it's a it's a meant, it's a dessert wine. It's meant it's a little sweeter uh, than most Champagne.
9: Okay. And what's a Mezcal?
1: Mezcal is is very similar to tequila. You, if if you don't drink a lot of tequila, you probably wouldn't even be able to tell the difference. It's it's a spirit that's made from agave.
16: Okay.
9: Well, okay, yes. Okay, and uh, I think that, that people are drinking like that uh, popular drinks maybe is maybe as they're getting away and going on vacation and stuff, and that's usually a vacation drink or
16: a getaway drink. Well, you might be right. You might be. Uh, you might be right. That
1: might, uh, might 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 be something to that, Marianne. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Nellie Bly is in Ocean Park. Hello, Nellie Bly.
8: Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm good. I just wanted to uh, mention that um, you don't know too much about soccer and its popularity, but I have a feeling that Rachel will sign up Little Carmine for uh, soccer, and uh, he'll choose soccer over baseball eventually. Well, you might be right. I played soccer as a child.
1: Um and you did. Uh, yeah no i did i i yeah, I enjoyed soccer it's fun it's a very big youth sport and uh, i'd be delighted if you wanted to play soccer that'd be
8: great well that's good glad to hear that but I think the uh, tequila also um, the popularity uh is a lot due to uh the population uh changing from uh uh european uh immigration to uh South America, Mexico. You might be uh, right. So you,
1: think, you think this could be a result of demographic trends because yes. most of the population growth is from com- countries where tequila and, aga- and mezcal are more popular.
8: Yeah, I, I think that might have had an effect.
1: Could be. Could be. Uh, nelly thanks for the call. Appreciate <laughs> it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't know you had another comment there, but we got to go anyway. Uh, I will tell you, if you're ever in Las Vegas, I went to this great Mexican restaurant with my um, wife and my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and some friends called El Dorado Cantina. And I think it on Mondays, at least when we were there last March, in March of 2021, they have a special called uh, for shots of Don Julio 1942 tequila. Now... I don't even know what's a good tequila and what's not. But the lady the, I, at the bar, because the, there were too many people at our table, I had to sit at the bar because that's when there were still all these COVID restrictions. And I'm sitting at the bar having dinner by myself while the rest of my friends and family are having a gay old time at the table. And the restaurateur says to me, you know, you got to try these shots of Don Julio tequila, Don Julio 1942 tequila. We only offer this on Mondays usually these shots are close to $30. They're at least $25 for a single shot. On Mondays, it's only $7. So I think I had like five or six of them, and it was good. But I don't know that my my tequila palate is as refined enough as it needs to be to appreciate that. I don't know. All right, Uh, maybe we'll talk food and drink with the great Tony Danza in just a moment. Uh, This is The Other Side of Midnight. Tony Danza straight ahead.
0: I laugh at Tony Danza. Yes. I laugh at Tony Danza. I laugh at Tony Danza. I laugh at Tony Danza. All right, that's it. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC.
1: the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Marano. This is a real treat, uh, getting to speak to a New York City institution. I don't know what it is about our next guest, but in an era where it seems like the world is so polarized, people can't even agree on what day it is. This might be one of the few entertainers, one of the few performers, one of the few people out there that's still almost universally liked. He wears many hats. Uh, you, If you've seen Taxi, Who's the Boss? Hudson Street or the Tony Danza show, you know him simply as tony he is a great spokesman for new york city he's been an actor a tv personality a talk show host and a philanthropist and he's somebody that almost everyone in the city seems to have a story about encountering and if you're one of the few people out there that's never seen him in person well beginning tonight you're going to have a chance to do just that we'll tell you how in a minute it gives me a great deal of pleasure welcome the one and only tony danza good morning tony thanks so much for joining me on the radio
24: Thank you, Frank. Great to be on the other side of midnight <laughs> it It's my pleasure you know like it's that. funny
1: I was telling I was telling you off air it seems like almost everybody has a Tony Danza story. Is that just a function of being a celebrity for a half century? What is it about you that everyone seems well, yeah, to have a story of a Tony Danza encounter?
24: Well, I think first of all, it does have something to do with being around for that long. You know the other thing is that you know i'm around I'm around the city I'm in the neighborhood i you know, I sit outside. I, you know, I, I enjoy New York. I'm really. Uh, this is this this place means something to me. You know, you know, you know what John Updike said, don't you? John Updike said, <laughs> people who don't live in New York are just kidding. So I'm just really <laughs> enjoying every bit of it. And so, you know, that's one of the great things about New York. You know, I talk about it in the act. I talk about the brush when you <laughs> when you're walking down the street and you're going to have a collision with somebody on the sidewalk, and at the last minute you both move your shoulders and you just brush. You know what I mean. So we have this this kind of culture here in the city, and I uh, and you're right. There was a lot of polarization, but I think the the over uh, the the overarching thing about New York is that we're we're all New Yorkers.
1: So you're not moving to Florida anytime soon, like so many people seem to be doing.
24: No, the only problem with Florida, living in Florida, is you got to live there, you know. So I know <laughs> I, I I'm gonna stay where I am, <laughs> and I don't mean to diss Florida. I mean it. I'm just there. I just played a couple of dates down there. Had such a good time. So it's uh, now, you know this this act takes me all over the place too, which is like the most fun. I've been in, I've been in Marion, Ohio, Uniontown, Pennsylvania. I was in Philly Saturday night. Um, you know, so it's 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 just uh, it gets me out, and I'm I'm around. So maybe that's what it is.
1: It, it, maybe it is, and uh, so let's tell people about the act. You are doing standards and stories, uh, starting today at the Cafe Carlisle. uh You're going to be uh, performing Tuesday through Saturday. What exactly are you going to be doing? You're going to be singing and telling stories. That seems to be what the title the title suggests. Yeah,
12: well,
24: yes, it's pretty self explanatory, I guess. Well, we see, you know, I I, uh, I wrote an act. I wrote, uh, picked out a bunch of songs. I got a great arranger then John Otto who arranged all the uh, songs for me. And then you write an act that uh, will make some kind of a connection with the audience. You know, personal stories, professional stories, and songs that evoke some kind of help with that. And uh, it's funny. Uh, I, I, you know what, Frank, the interesting thing, you know, I've been working on this a long time. I'm actually going to say something to you. I'm not a bad singer anymore, <laughs> you know. So, so I'm, I'm serious. It's really kind of uh, exciting uh, for that to happen because you can't learn how to do it, even if you have a voice. You can't. You gotta gotta go out there and do it. And sometimes it's embarrassing, you know. It's hard to open your mouth like that when you when you're not sure you're going to be successful. So, um, so now I I feel pretty good out there. I feel pretty. Uh, and and, I, and let me tell you, Carlisle, just so you know, it's like stepping back into another, another era. I mean, it's like, um, you know, first of all, you know, I don't know if you know anything about that hotel, but every president since, uh, since I think Hoover stayed there. And, uh, and, and in fact, and John Kennedy made it the, um, the New York White House. And there's, there's a rumor that there's a, there's a tunnel that you could sneak people into because uh, a certain uh, starlet sang happy birthday at, gar- at the garden and somehow they got her into the, uh, into the, into the car. So I haven't found that by the way, I've been looking for that tunnel, but I haven't been able to find it. It, it, it's a
1: great place. And by the way, it's also the place where the, the, the Carlisle group, that group, which is supposedly, uh, at the heart of so many conspiracy theories, it was named yeah. for the Carlisle Hotel. So it's great that you're going to be there. Um, is it, the best way for people to get tickets if they want to check you out between now, uh, and June 25th to go to the website or is there another way that's a, a great way No, to get I think tickets.
24: the website's the best. Yes, the website's the easiest way. Just go to the Carlisle website.
1: Great, and um, they could Google that, yeah. or just go to rosewoodhotels.com, dot com, and it
24: comes right up there. Cafe Carlisle is the best way. Cafe Carlisle.
1: That's Ca- Cafe we'll Carlyle. Uh, it's you, you know, and a famous.
24: F- this is the place where Bobby Short uh, held course for so many years. Uh, it's it's a really it's really really uh, you talk about a, a New York institution. That's what it really is. Yeah. Yes, uh, no. Four, it, four guys in the four of the best guys you've ever seen in the band. Really. Uh, that is. Guys.
1: That is terrific. I'm going to uh, try and get there uh, myself. So you you've mentioned that you're not a bad singer anymore, and if people have, haven't seen you in person, they could see you on YouTube. You've performed on Broadway. Um, what about the stories? Something tells me you're not a bad storyteller anymore these days.
24: Well, you know, again, uh, going back to how long I've been around, you, uh, you 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 do amass a certain amount of stories. And, uh, and I, you know, Frank, one of the great things about my career is the timing of it. So think about it. So I went to high school and, and I went. To, I grew up in Brooklyn in the fifties and sixties. Best time you could live there. Then I went to I went to college in the in the in the late sixties, sixty sixty eight. I graduated. So I'm in college in the seventies. Then I box in the seventies, in the mid seventies here in New York when the when the, the old timers are still around, the Chicky Ferrara's, the uh, the Tony Canseys, and the Ray, and, uh, and Ray Brown. So all of those guys were around. And then I get to Hollywood. I get to Hollywood in 1977, 70, 78, and, you know, everybody, all those old timers were running around. So I got to be around, you know, Frank Sinatra. I got to be around Billy Wilder. I got to be around. And so I have some stories about about stuff like that. So uh, it's pretty it, – it makes me happy to to, uh, to remember it, too. That's the other thing. He,
1: oh, no, I, I can imagine. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Tony Danza. He's performing at the Cafe Carlisle. Tuesday through Saturday, uh, all the way through June 25th. Please tell me that one of the songs that you're going to be performing, at least for one night at some point, is the Elton John classic "Tiny Dancer."
24: <laughs> no, we we try to stay away from that one, Frank. Got it. We okay. to stay away all from right. that one. You know, did you see that just recently? I mean, a few I don't know, sometime maybe half a year ago, where. uh, Elton John actually sang it with, um, I did, I did. with Courtney Cox, I, did. I think. And that was the craziest <laughs> thing ever, you know. I thought it was, it was hysterical. This oh, this thing has haunted me, you know. This is really, one time I was in Philly, I was when I was teaching in Philly, I was walking with a friend and we were going to eat. And four girls, young girls, ran up to me. And I thought they wanted a picture. They wanted an autograph. I didn't even know how the hell they knew who I was. They get in a line next to me. And their friend took a picture of them singing, Hold Me Closer, Tony Dance <laughs> So, <laughs> is- so it, it, yeah, it, it, it shows up every once in a while.
10: But not you, in you mentioned, <laughs>
1: got, got it. Got it. People are warned. Uh, you mentioned uh, hanging around with Frank Sinatra, and I don't think anybody would be surprised to have heard that you and Frank Sinatra have encountered one another once or twice over the years. Someone who people may be surprised to know that you had an encounter with was Tupac Shakur.
24: You actually became uh-huh. friends with Tupac Shakur before he died, didn't you? Yeah, what happened was uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a uh, – you know, I'm a board member of the Police Athletic League here in the city. and A big shout-out to
1: our owner, John Katzamatides, who does a great job. You know, every, of course,
24: the great, the great John Katsimatidis. Of course, he's our uh, he's our star there, by the way. But um, we started an act, a teen acting program uh, uh, because I really think that uh, kids today have it so much tougher than we did. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, uh, try, try to find a good role model. Try to, try to find something that, uh, you know. And so we started this program um and I, and and I think that's that 's where all of this comes from you know that uh, uh I had such a great childhood, I had such a great life and it, it bothers me that these kids are not um are not you know possibly may not have the same kind of uh not, i just think I just think it 's so much tougher and so i can 't remember what the hell why I started talking
1: oh about it. tupac I was asking about befriending oh, Tupac oh so
24: tupac, so what happened is I wrote him. a He's in jail. He gets shot five times, and he's in jail with five bullet holes in him. He's got thug life written across his his stomach, and so I wrote him a letter. I wrote him a letter. I said, dear, and dear, dear to, dear to pop. Yeah, I could. Anyway, so I wrote dear to. I wrote him a letter and I said, listen, I know this business you're in, you can't be a goody two shoes, but You know, considering where you find yourself, maybe there's another way to do it. And there are a lot of kids who look up to you. He was also a great actor, too, besides, you know. And the reason I did this, by the way, is I saw him on the the news. And then that next morning, I heard a song called Dear Mama that he wrote. And it's about what he put his mother through. And that's why I wrote him the letter. And so he writes me back he writes me back and he says, you know, uh, you know, he, you're right. I can't be a goody 2 shoes, but I get what you're saying. And we started to, you know, by the way, I think I got three letters from him, two or three, by the way. And uh, and I wrote him three times. And then one night I was at a, a, a movie theater, a movie premiere with my family. My my, my kids were small and uh, and my wife was with me and uh, a big bodyguard came over and said, hey, Tupac wants to see you. So we went over and spoke with him and it was great. You know, it was He was terrific. I mean, it really was. It's just, uh, I just worry about the influence, you know, with incredible uh, influence comes incredible responsibility. And sometimes I think, uh, you know, in the the pursuit of money, nobody thinks about it.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And uh, I know you have a date with uh, getting your tuxedo pressed. You're gonna be performing at the Cafe (laughs) Carlisle. But on on that note, on that note, (laughs) uh, I have really been moved the last few years at your advocacy and your work for education. For people that don't know, you spent some time recently uh, as a teacher in Philadelphia schools. A&E did a show about it. And I read the book you wrote about it, where you, uh, I'd like to apologize to every teacher I've ever had. I think the one thing that everyone acknowledges in this country is that education, the the school system, the education system is cause for concern. We might not agree on how to fix it, but we all realize that there are some problems there. Given your experience of going into a classroom a few years ago, uh, what do you mm-hmm. think the best way to fix our education system is?
24: Well, first of all, I think the conventional wisdom is a little bit off because as uh, many problems as, as and it's true, as, as many problems as there are in the school system, there are, Thousands of miracles ha- that happen in the school every day. It really, I mean it. You, you know, uh, I was surrounded by a, a cadre of teachers who really, really uh, put their 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 lives on the line for these kids. And so there's a lot of good also. So it's not all bad. And and, and by the way, the reason I, I I decided to try that teaching thing was because I really wanted to see what what's going on in our public schools. And so I wasn't. Um, there's no doubt that the motivated student is no longer. the I mean, the unmotivated student is no, no longer the exception. But there are really some, a lot of good things that happen in, in, in our public schools. Unfortunately, you know, you, you have uh, you have you have uh, you got to re- remember what these kids are seeing and, and dealing with every day. I think we're we're kind of being you know we're whistling past the grave, thinking all these kids are going to grow up. Uh, well, well-adjusted. You know what I mean. I, I just, I just mm. think it's, uh, you know, we grew up on nothing but love songs, and look how we turned out.
1: Mm. Uh, no, it's uh, it's it's very very true, and uh, that's why uh, we're grateful for a lot of the work that you do with the police athletic league and uh, taking young people that might go down a wayward path and trying to get them on the uh, on the straight and narrow. You know, you mentioned your career as a boxer. Whenever I see our friend Geraldo Rivera, he always makes a point <laughs> of saying how. Back in the 70s, you were the toughest kid he'd ever seen. Uh, forget about as a boxer. He says you were the toughest kid ever. Uh, oh, how did you end up making that transition from boxing to
24: Hollywood? So I, uh, I, uh, I was fighting in, in – I was boxing. I was training, excuse me, in Gleason's Gym, which used to be on 30th and 8th Avenue. the storefront. And uh, a guy walked in one day. His name is Stuart Sheslow. He's still around. And uh, he was watching. He was uh, he was uh, researching a pilot for a uh, for a TV show called Augie about a young fighter who trains at this gym that's owned by an older fighter, and they have a relationship. Um, and he was in there researching it. and He saw me, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, "Did you ever think about uh, being on TV?" And I thought he was up to something, um, but I, you know, I went along with it for a while, and he got me. An agent. The agent got me a a, a um, an audition for. Do you remember the Warriors? That picture. Oh, sure. I I love the All Warriors. Right. It's the Coney Island so movie. I so I get I get an audition, an open call for the. I go to an open call for the Warriors. My agent tells me go there. So I was fighting my first main event at Prospect Hall in Brooklyn. You know that place where they used to do the weddings? We make right. your Grand dreams Prospect come true?
1: Hall, we make your dreams right. come well, true. That was, yeah. that
24: was a boxing venue uh, before, before it was a, a, a catering house. And I was fighting there. And I, I, you remember they used to make those posters, right? And it was my first main event. And so I was on the top of the poster. It had my picture. It said, Tough Tony Tans of Brooklyn's Knockout Artist. So what happened was I was at this giant uh, conference table. Joel Silver, Larry Gordon, and Walter Hill are sitting on the, on the other end, and I read for the part. And as soon as I read, you know what they do? They say, thank you very much. And I say, okay, thank you. And I, and just, but before I left, I unfurled the poster, and I said, hey, you guys really want to see a fighter? You should come see me. You want to see a warrior? I said, you should come see me fight. I'm fighting Friday night. And they came. And in that fight, and by the way, this fight for some reason has been posted on uh, on YouTube. If you put Tony Danza fight, you can see it. But what happened was, uh, I was really good if a guy came to me. I couldn't. I was bad if you, if I had to chase you. But this guy came right to me, and um, I landed big left hook. And in about I don't know 50 seconds, he was in the first row. <laughs> and Larry Gordon, the producer, was walking around the outside of the, of the uh, ring, and he looked up at me and he said. That's the greatest audition I've ever seen. <laughs> and so I got the part. I got the part in the Warriors. And then while I was at Gulf and Western, which owned Paramount, uh, to get costume, they, they introduced me to Jim Brooks, who was doing the show Taxi. And uh, I actually read with Mandy Patinkin, who was reading for, uh, for uh, Judd Hirsch's part. And uh, somehow I end up now I get a movie and I got taxi. I got the part. So I chose to do taxi. I couldn't do both.
1: Uh, it, it sounds like you made the the right decision. Um, you know, lastly, speaking of uh, boxing and athleticism, people look at you now and you look basically the same as you did 30, 35 years ago. We have a lot of people listening who find themselves getting a little older, getting into their sixties, mm-hmm. getting into their seventies. Maybe the metabolism doesn't move as quickly as it once did. Any tips for staying in shape uh, for people that uh, find themselves entering into a new stage of life? What's your secret? And don't tell me olive oil and uh, and uh, parmesan.
24: Well, it is the you know it is the olive oil option. I have that you know that. But but you know I, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that you get when you're a fighter, other than you getting your brains beat in, is that you get this <laughs> tremendous discipline. Because you you always think that you always think the other guy's training. You know the guy you're going to fight is training, so you got to get in shape. I don't know. Look, I just believe in trying to stay in shape. You know, I was just on uh, Channel 11, and they were showing a, a a piece on a woman who turned 108 yesterday. Mm. And 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 don't get me wrong, uh, it's an amazing thing to be 108 years old. But I don't want to be like that if I'm if I'm around, and I you know I can't do anything. So I try to keep myself in shape, and 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 it's it's not easy, and it takes time, but it pays off. And uh, by the way, I'm two pounds less than I was for my last fight in 1979.
1: Amazing, <laughs> absolutely amazing, Tony Danza. Standards and stories. You can see him at the Cafe Carlisle. The uh, shows start at 8:45. Uh, this is a show that uh, I think tickets are going to go pretty quickly for. I'm going to try and get there. Uh, maybe I'll see you I hope there. You come, uh, man. You- yeah, oh, no, you, Absolutely. Uh, get your tickets now. You can just Google Cafe Carlisle or go to rosewoodhotels.com. You could buy tickets online. Hey, Tony, it's always such a treat to talk with you. Thanks for taking the time
24: to do this. I appreciate it very much, Frank. Take care, okay? Keep punching. Th- Absolutely.
1: If you want to comment on any part of my discussion with Tony Danza, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. Something tells me a lot of you have some great Tony Danza experiences and encounters of your own. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead.
0: WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
1: this song, but I don't think anybody sings sings it better than Elton John. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, we have eight. Count them. Eight open lines. 1-800-848-9222. Coming up, a legendary character actor has passed away in his 90s. I'll tell you who, and um, we'll explore what that means for the future of the entertainment business uh, namely television we'll get into it in a big way in mere moments but i will tell you you know my i, I you know last weekend i was in hawaii for my brother's wedding and so you know, the day of the ceremony he and my now sister-in-law were not supposed to see each other before the ceremony so they didn't so my brother nick basically hung out with me the whole day and he got dressed in my room and everything. He spent the night in my room, and it was good. We had a nice, uh, nice talk. We, we shared a big bottle of bourbon his last night as a bachelor. And uh, we are chatting about you know things and everything. And then the next day, the next afternoon, he's getting ready in my room and everything. And he's getting dressed. I'm getting dressed. And we take pictures in there. Then his friends come in. My other brother comes in. My dad comes in. Who's bringing drinks in there? Who's bringing food in there? It's like a mini little party as uh, everything's going on in the afternoon before the wedding. Fine. And I notice something. Don't think twice about it, but I notice it. I see my brother Nick uses the same deodorant and antiperspirant that I do. It's a gray stick uh, made by Dove, and it's very well-reviewed. It's supposed to be one of the best... Men's deodorants out there. And I said, and I just think, oh, that's funny. He and I happen to use the same deodorant. Okay, don't think anything of it. Next day, he's now a married man. I'm heading back to New York, packing up my things, looking around. And, hmm, where's my deodorant? Now it's fairly obvious what has occurred here. He took my deodorant inadvertently. So I'm assuming then that he has two of these sticks of deodorant, his own and the one that he inadvertently took from my room. And so I couldn't track him down after I packed up because I, you know, he was doing his thing and I had to, had to catch an Uber to the airport. Couldn't track him down. So I tell my brother Alex and my sister Claudia, when you see Nick, tell him I think he took my deodorant. I get on this airplane, and the poor people that sat on my left and my right, no deodorant, no deodorant. Two, air, two flights, one of which was a middle seat, 10 hours of f- flying time, no deodorant. The next day, I come here, and I felt very bad for my coworkers that first day that I was back, that Tuesday. I did this show with no deodorant that Tuesday. The next day, um, a, a little bit of a trickier situation I had a, a stick of my wife's deodorant that I stole from her the last time I was similarly situated. I used a woman's deodorant last Wednesday. It's true. It's true. Not proud of it, but it happened. And then uh, my wife, when she goes to the market, she picks out a couple of deodorants for me. Great. So I'm all set. I'm all good. And then I, a box of deodorants arrive on Thursday of the kind that I use, the Dove. And I said, oh, good. I must have realized that I, I took it, I finished it, or that he took it, and I, I I ordered some. Meanwhile, Nick claims he doesn't have my deodorant. And when I picked him up from the airport on Sunday, I asked him about this. Did you ever find my deodorant? He says, no. But you should have gotten a box of deodorant that I sent you. I said, wait a minute, you sent me a box of deodorant? I thought I ordered that. He said, how could you think you ordered that? I sent it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to a radio show from someone who is so absent-minded... That he thinks he ordered boxes of deodorant which never occurred. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. Boy, does it stink!
0: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thank you for tuning in. By the way, if you want a copy of this song, uh, just call us and give us your address. We'll mail you a CD, Swan Silvertones. Anybody that wants one, uh, we'll send you one. Now, uh, for the rest of you that are able to find your musical selections on your own without my assistance, we enjoy being entertained, don't we? And unfortunately, uh, we um, lost... A great one yesterday. One of the greatest character actors who has ever lived. I realize that may be a bit hyperbolic, but it is absolutely true. Philip Baker Hall has passed away at the age of... He was about 90, but he was just shy of 91. And I am really sorry to see him go. Look, I'd rather some I've never met this man. I have no idea if he was the greatest guy in the world or the worst. But as a talent and as an actor, there is simply no one like Philip Baker Hall. Uh, Philip Baker Hall, in addition to being an actor who's been in so many great films and television shows, uh, his first television role came in an episode of the TV series Good Times. Remember Good Times with Jimmy J.J. J. Walker? Good Times! You know. uh, he was on MASH. He played Nixon in a one-character film called Secret Honor, reprising the role that he had created during the play's original off-Broadway run. And in that film, 1977, just three years after Nixon resigned, Roger Ebert said about Philip Baker Hall and the film, quote, Nixon is portrayed by Philip Baker Hall, an actor previously unknown to me, with such savage intensity, such passion, such venom, such scandal, that we cannot turn away. Hall looks a little like the real Nixon. He could be a cousin, and he sounds a little like him. That's close enough. This is not an impersonation. It's a performance. And he was in so many great films. Nothing in Common, Midnight Run, Say Anything, Ghostbusters 2. And I loved him. My favorite film that he did was probably, he was on a lot of television shows. He was on Cheers. Remember that episode where uh, Woody runs for city council in Boston? He's in that episode. He was on The West Wing, which I'm watching now. Plays a senator on The West Wing. He's great on that show. But I don't think there's any doubt as to what this Toledo, Ohio, holy Toledo, born actor Who, by the way, served in the United States Army as a translator, served in Germany in the Army as a translator, also was a high school teacher. And he worked for Off-Broadway and Broadway Productions right here in New York City. There's no doubt about what Philip Baker Hall is best known for. And had he lived another 90 years, had he lived another 100 years, had he lived another 1,000 years, he would always be best known for this role. This is one of the best guest starring roles of all time on one of the greatest television programs of all time. Philip Baker Hall was, and always will be,
18: Bookman. Sure, go ahead laugh if you want to. I've seen your type before, flashy, making the scene, flaunting convention. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. It's this guy making such a big stink about all library books? Let me give you a hint, Jimmy. Maybe we can live without libraries, people like you and me, maybe. Sure, we're too old to change the world. But what about that kid sitting down, opening a book right now in a branch of the local library and finding drawings of peepees and wee-wees and the cat in the hat and the five Chinese brothers? Doesn't he deserve better? Look, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, You better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped.
10: Or maybe that
18: turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks. You and your good-time buddies. I got a flash for you, Joy Boy. Party time is over. You got seven days, Seinfeld. That is one week.
1: Now, what you're not seeing there is not only his incredible voice, and he had one of those voices that if he was in a a voiceover on a commercial or in an animated series or anywhere, if you closed your eyes, you immediately knew who was speaking. You might not have known Philip Baker Hall's name, but you immediately knew who who was speaking. He had one of those voices that was iconic, that was sui generis, that was just wonderful, that was melodious, that was just really terrific. And what you're not seeing there, though, because this is radio, not television, is Philip Baker Hall. You're not seeing two things. Philip Baker Hall's incredible use of facial expressions and his deadpan delivery as he's delivering the most ridiculous lines ever. I mean, this is a library cop, and he's reading he's reading Jerry's rights as if Jerry's kidnapped the Lindbergh baby, and he's outstanding. The facial expressions are outstanding. There's nothing like this. He was amazing. And his career, you know, really, he had done, he'd done well. He'd done some film and some television and some theater before that. But after that point, his career exploded from there. Absolutely exploded. He was in one of my favorite uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, because obviously I'm a sucker for anything that has to do with gambling. Hard Eight with John C. riley He's great in that film. Samuel L. Jackson is also in that. A lot of people haven't seen that film. I do recommend that. Um, a real, real, real good film. Uh, if you're, especially if you're a craps player, it's called Hard Eight, and Philip Baker Hall is terrific in that. And he had no problem. Uh, by the way, he brought he reprised that role of Detective Bookman for the Seinfeld finale as well. And I think if you were to poll Seinfeld fans about who the most popular guest star was, I think a lot of them would say it was Philip Baker Hall. Now, it, that was not the only Larry David collaboration that he was involved in. Remember, he played the Doctor on Curb Your Enthusiasm that uh, is probably best known for using puns and dribbling on Larry David's forehead and getting into a bit of a uh, tussle with Larry David over Larry's use of the telephone in the doctor's office.
0: Oh, you know what? There's a doctor. All right, I'll talk to you later.
16: I will uh, I'll talk to you later.
18: How's Jeff? You're not supposed to use that phone.
0: Sorry. It was a local call. Uh,
18: you're not supposed to use the phone. It doesn't matter whether it was a local or a long-distance call. We
0: just don't want people using that phone, okay?
16: Fine. What's the, what, what's the big deal,
0: though? It's
18: not a big I, deal. If I may ask, is the, uh, what's the problem? Uh, there is no problem. We just don't want people using that phone.
0: I don't understand why not, though. Why? Why couldn't I use it?
18: Well, you could use it. You obviously did. We don't want you
0: to use it, though. With all due respect, I just don't really understand the rule. I don't see what
16: the big deal is.
18: The history of how we arrived at that is so complex, that I won't even bore you with it. Just let it be said that we don't allow anyone to use the phones in the examination
0: rooms. Yeah, I mean, I just don't see how it's uh, hurting anybody. It's
18: not. It's not hurting anybody. We just
0: have a rule here. You don't use the doctor's wound. It's simple. Yeah, I just don't understand what the reason is. I mean, you're saying not to use it, but what's the reason?
18: I don't understand why you have to know the reason.
0: I'm just trying to understand why you decided that. It seems very capricious to me.
18: You know, it's hard to make a rule that takes in all the contingencies. So we just have a rule. Don't use the phone. Okay. Okay. Understood. All right. All right. you understand it.
1: Now, if you know Philip Baker Hall, you know that he was not going to leave well enough alone. And uh, it was only going to escalate from there. So he's really going to be missed. I never got to meet him, never got to interview him. But I feel like I did know him just through his work as an actor because he really was someone, whether he was doing drama or whether he was doing comedy uh, or horror, you know, because he plays the sheriff in uh, the remake of Psycho as well. He was someone who was terrific. And, you know, Larry David wrote a film as well. It's called Sour Grapes which uh, Craig Bierko was in, and uh, Philip Baker Hall has a, a role in that. He was in Air Force One. He was in Boogie Nights. He was in uh, a lot of great films, Eye for an Eye. And he's just someone whose work really spoke to me. So I'm going to miss him, and I suspect many of will you will as well. If you want to comment on the passing of Philip Baker Hall, you're welcome to do so at 800-848-WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to share... Uh, anything about how Philip Baker Hall's work spoke to you and what this loss means for you and the future of Hollywood, now's the time. 800-848-9222. You're also welcome to comment on anything else we've covered thus far. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe.
22: Hey, Gamaro, Frank. Happy hey. Flag Day. Um, your interview with uh, Tony Danza was amazing. Uh, I love Tony Danza. He's a great American actor. Uh, a comedy. He may, always made me laugh. And who's the boss? And uh, just a great all-around person. I, I, I never. I love him. He's just a uh, a good role model. Um, there's very few and far out there that you can say that about uh, actor-wise, and he is a good uh, a good actor. And a great interview, by the way, you did with him. I was really uh, really uh, enjoyed listening to it.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much uh, there Joe i uh, I appreciate that, yeah, he's a real treat. I, I could talk with him all day, uh, but uh, I know you know he had a lot going on. He was in the midst of uh, having his tuxedo pressed for tonight 's show when I spoke with him, so I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing the show sometime soon and then um you know and having him on the radio again soon. but he's a great guy, honestly he's one of the few people in Hollywood that i've never heard anything negative about ever.
18: Ever. Yeah.
22: Yeah. Uh, Just a great guy. And my wife's a big fan of him, too. And uh, just let's hope and pray, Frank, that uh, everything that's going on in the world right now, it's got to turn around. It's it's with food and gas and uh, everything that's going on. Let's just pray the right person gets into governor's office. Anything uh, other than a Democrat right now. Have
8: yeah, a are you? Break. Hey, Joe. Just curious.
1: I'm guessing yeah. you're a registered Republican. Who are you voting for in the primary on June 28th?
22: Well, I told you in the past that I'm a big supporter. I've helped him through three campaigns, Lee Zeldin. Um, I also, you know, I like Giuliani uh, uh, the father. I wasn't too impressed uh, with the son, but then again, he was uh, zoomed in there, which was unfair to him. Um um that, um, what's his name? Um, uh, Estorino, uh, the other guy, um,
1: Harry Wilson, uh, Rob Astorino, Lee yeah, Zeldin. I
22: found him, Harry, uh, Mr., uh, that Wilson guy. I found him very, uh, I don't know, unprofessional. My wife said he looked, uh, totally out of shape. And, uh, he was just, uh, I, we don't need him in as a governor. We need somebody that's, you know, like, uh, Let's just hope the right person gets in, Frank. That's all I, I pray. That's all
1: I pray. Well, thank you very much for the call there, Joe. By the way, and, you know, you could find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Morano Fan, or uh, you can email me, frank.morano at com. I was joking when I said people should reach out to me to ask for a CD for the Swan Silvertones. I, I mean, that's because a guy called Curtis to complain that I hadn't sent them one. So... Those of you that are now Facebook messaging me and emailing me, I was joking. I mean, I'll send you a link to the YouTube video, but I'm not going to send you a Swan Silvertones record. I mean, you can, you could, a lot of us have to find this music on our own. So again, I'm not going to repeat everything I said yesterday, but uh, there's no need to reach out to me about this. That was a complete and total joke. On Twitter as well, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. And uh, again, as uh, as I said, we're on Instagram. If you go to my Instagram page, at Morano Vision, that's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision, you can see a picture of my son Carmine meeting Rudy Giuliani on Saturday as they were campaigning in uh, Staten Island for the governor's race. And obviously, you know, I've met the mayor many times. And he said to me, Who's that? And I always joke with Andrew that because, and because his daughter and my son are the same age, that maybe they'll be dating one day. So I said to the mayor, I said, "This is your future grandson-in-law. He's good, either, He's only six days apart from your your granddaughter, and uh, I, I suspect they may uh, get married." So uh, he he got a kick out of that. So if you want to see that uh, photograph of Mayor Giuliani and little Carmine Moreno, you can certainly. Um, go to Instagram and and search Morano Vision. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. You want to comment, now's the time, 800-848-WABC. We have wide open phone lines, and our telephone talent coordinator, Ryan, uh, is actually in the midst of... Uh, playing a game of operation. So I'd love to disrupt his game of operation to force him to answer the phone, but that only works if you call. 800-848-WABC. By the way, coming up on the Bernie and Sid show from 6 until 10, they're going to have full post-debate analysis. And I believe, my understanding is, uh, Congressman Peter King is going to be on the show today as well, so that's going to be uh, certainly. I look; he's a big Lee Zeldin supporter. I'm looking forward to hearing his analysis of the of the um, you know debate. By the way, uh, this other listener, Tom, just emailed me regarding something I forgot to mention, and this is where I go on these tangents where I said the thing that you don't see in that scene with Philip ba- Baker Hall as Bookman, um, where Seinfeld is smiling in that scene, but not acting because he was trying not to laugh at Philip Baker's hall's performance. And he's talked about that, how he almost broke down laughing because that's how funny it was as, you know, Bookman is doing this whole Joe Friday routine of uh, heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. Marijuana is the flame, you know? Uh, But I think Bookman is more like Joe Friday than than Joe Friday was, more like Joe Friday than Jack Webb actually was. All right, Uh, coming up in just about 10 minutes, we're going to do the $1,000 minute and give you an opportunity to win some money, $1,000 to be precise, if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. That's coming up. And then uh, my colleague in the morning, Sid Rosenberg, is looking for some help with the audio version of his book. We're going to see if we can find a way to uh, to help him out. So uh, that's all coming up before we get out of here. The WABC Early News with Dev Valentine coming up at 5 as well. Greg is in New Jersey. Hello, Greg.
22: Frank, uh, Philip Baker Hall, he, he's one of those actors that, you know, you don't have to say much to be a good actor. And he, he had that, that face and, and the, like you said, the expressions. But one movie he did that I really liked, was called You Kill Me with Ben Kingsley and uh, uh, he's, there's a he's a hitman alcoholic hitman it's a very good movie uh it takes a, it takes place in buffalo uh, yeah you know
1: that movie is that film is on my list i've never seen that though um and it has a lot of people that i like in it like Dennis Farina Luke Wilson and uh, and Bill Bill uh, Pullman i didn't realize that Philip Baker Hall was in that
22: yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, a good boy, and Den, you know Dennis Farina's good actor there too. But uh, yeah, very,
19: very good, very good uh, hitman movie.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. That's a that's a good one. I'm going to see if it's on Netflix and try and add it to my list right now. Thank you for that, Greg. Uh, all right. All right. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. As we remember the life and times of the one and only Philip Baker Hall. The world will—the world of motion pictures and television will never be the same again. That's for sure. Sean is in Park Ridge. Hello, Sean.
23: Hey, how you doing? Um, you know, i am going to be honest. I don't really know that much about that actor that you're mentioning. But in relation to that, I did want to share with you—I guess—a common thread, which is—you um, know—actors and actresses that are really just class acts and just great people. Um, and some of them, like you said, are few and far between. And uh, John, uh, I think it's John Ritter, the guy who played Jack Tripper on uh, Three's Company. Mm-hmm. Um, after he passed away, I I saw some interviews with him on YouTube, and I always liked him anyway. He always kind of sensed he was a good person. But um, after some of these interviews I saw, I mean, it really made it clear he was just a really genuine, I mean, just an amazing person, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to. And that's a, it's certainly a great observation. And I was a fan of John Ritter also. I don't want to steal any of Philip Baker Hall's thunder. I feel like this is a tribute and, and a time to reflect back on the life and times and career of, uh, of Philip Baker Hall. Not necessarily, you know, the any any other actors, nothing against them. But it's like, um, you know, today's. You know uh, Donald Trump's birthday, it's also Flag Day uh, You know whose birthday also would have been today? Harriet Beecher Stowe Now, we could do a whole segment about Harriet Beecher Stowe because it was her birthday but, you know, w- what if somebody else were to call in and said, hey, you know who else did a lot for the cause of civil rights? Frederick Douglass well, Okay, we know he did, but you know, we're talking about uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe right now Uncle Tom's cabin Alright, um We're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a minute. 1-800-848-WABC. If you want to be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, you will have an opportunity to win $1,000 if, and only if, you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. So if you want to try your luck, now's the time. 1-800-848-9222. Call now.
11: Frank Marano, WABC, Frank Roman 77 W A B C And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the tune. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Sign. love affair. Come on. Can't be scared when nickels down. I
13: This
1: is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, the time's come for one lucky person to try to win some money because it's time for
0: The Other Side of Midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank. Murano. This
1: is indeed the thousand dollar minute. Thank you, Chris Libertine. Let's meet today's contestant, Jose in Danbury, Connecticut. Hello, Jose. Good morning. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Jose. Have you heard this contest before?
18: Yes, I've heard it a few times.
1: All right, great. So um, the rules are quite simple. You have to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. The timer will begin after I ask the first question. You get a question right. We're just going to move on to the next one. You ready to go? ready to go all right what are you gonna do with the money if you win by the way
17: um it's my anniversary next week so go to a nice place and uh hopefully enjoy a a big a big lump sum very nice
1: (laughs) uh how many years are you married
17: it'll be 25
1: oh that's a big one all right so i think we're all rooting for you now okay
17: all right all right
1: what is a nickname for william bill what sport do the new york rangers play Hockey. Oncology focuses on what disease? Uh, Cancer. What actor starred on the TV shows Who's the Boss and Taxi? Uh, That's Tony Danza. What pillow company is Mike Lindell the CEO of? My Pillow. What legendary WABC DJ is heard every Saturday night from 6 until 10 p.m.? That's uh, Cousin Brucey. What two letters don't appear on a traditional landline telephone? Uh, X and Z. <laughs> uh unfortunately not. It was Q and Z. Q and Z. You, Q and Z. You did right. See now everybody uses these mobile phones uh so yeah. so a, a lot of folks have have fallen out of uh, fashion with that. I'm going to put you sure, on hold sure. uh though because you did very well. You got 6 questions right and we're going to uh, give uh, give your information to Ryan if you would. And maybe if you want to give your wife a the other side of midnight t-shirt, then uh, maybe you know that's that makes up almost for the lavish dinner. All right, hang on, Jose. Appreciate it. You playing. Seems like a great guy. I was rooting for him there. Yeah, those old-fashioned phone lines. They don't have Q and they don't have Z. On them. Now, if you look on the the keypad on your mobile phone, most of them do have that. But years ago, didn't have it. Didn't have it. So that's that. Uh, I was rooting for that guy, though. He was doing well. All right. Um, by the way, if you want to purchase the same T-shirt that Jose is going to be gifted, all you have to do is go to wabcradiostore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. By the way, I did misspeak. And if you, whatever you buy on there, if you use the promo code FRANK15, you're going to save 15% off the purchase price. I did misspeak. Uh, Peter King is not going to be on the Bernie and Sid show today. However, uh, fan favorite, Bo Deedle, will be on the, on the um, uh, Bernie and Sid show. And you know who else will be? Sid Rosenberg. And I'll tell you what, they do a great show. They really do. Now, I was listening the other day, I was picking up one of the many siblings that I've recently picked up from the airport. I was listening to the other the other day to Sid describe the difficulties that he's having with his audio book. Now, now Sid has written this great book. Well, I don't know if it's great. I'm assuming it's great, but he's written this book, and I have actually purchased an advanced copy of it, something like $27. On Amazon. I mean, I I feel like Sid should have gifted me a a copy, but I bought it. I bought his previous book, too. The book is called Citizens United. Salacious spiels, spiels, I guess. Stories, suggestions, and solutions to withstand a work world. And I've pre-ordered it, and you can, too. It's uh, available September 6th. But Sid has not yet done an audio version of this book. And apparently this is something that is weighing very strongly on his conscience. And he's given this a lot of thought, and he said so the other day.
13: But I get a call from Johnny yesterday that um, he Johnny wanted me to do an audio it. version. I'm like, a what? An audio version? I got to read. Read. It's like 240 pages. I got to read the whole book and put it on, on audio. And believe it or not, people have asked me for that. They're like, well, I really can't see well. It's hard for me to read. Is there going to be an audio version? And I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, now it's here, and now I'm terrified. So he sent me like six or seven different, um, I don't know, I guess uh, the terminology for the audio. I, I don't even know what these words mean. You would know this, Lou. It's, it's a certain uh, a certain equipment I need I have to send them to get this done. You know what think about this? Okay, like, like what? Like a
18: microphone?
13: Uh, no, no, not just a mic. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. It's got to be like a certain... Um, here it is. Um, and let me see if you know what this is. Uh, it's got to be resolution CD quality WAV or AIFF files, no MP3s, 16-bit, oh, okay, 44-1K, mono or stereo is fine, as long as they're all the same. You know these things? Yeah, the sample size of what you're sending. Yeah. Do we have that here, all that stuff? Yeah, uh, sure. Okay, so I've got to go into studio one of these days. That's
12: what you're going to be yelling on the audio. Oh, my God, i gotta,
13: I got to yell and read my own book. And they have, like, an open and a close and... Anyway. I think it's kind of cool, but, like, I must start the book by saying, uh, Sid Rosenberg, authored by Sid Rosenberg with Johnny Russo, at the end of the book, I must say the end, believe it or not, it's actually very, very important, and make sure each chapter or section starts with announcing the section header, for example, forwards by Bernie McGurk and John Katsimatidis. Then pause for a second or two and begin reading the chapter. Oh, that's a lot too much work. Look, what a disaster. Not- <laughs> Keep the money. <laughs> Let's go Charles McCord. He'll do it. Oh, he'd be so great at that, wouldn't he? He'll be perfect. Oh, my great. God. He'd be great at that. Tom Bergeron is good with that stuff, too. The guy who actually hosted Dancing with the Stars. And he's been on the show a bunch of times. So, anyway, that's um, I got that to do at some point this week. And it's uh, scaring the hell out of me. Anthony Zaccardi, if you're listening, I'll do a great job. I promise. But the thought of doing it has me absolutely terrified.
1: So they go on to have this whole lengthy discussion about what Sid's going to do about the audio version in his book. He clearly does not want to record the audio version of his book. So he's there. He's saying maybe the British guy that comes on, Rob Shooter, maybe someone else, maybe they can do it. And I think Lou Ruffino, who's that other voice that you heard there, correctly pointed out in the commentary that if people want to hear – The voice of Sid Rosenberg, they don't want to hear some sophisticated British guy. They want to hear Sid Rosenberg's Brooklyn grit. So I said to Sid yesterday when I saw him, I said, Sid, so what's happening with the the audio version of your book? What are you doing with it? And he, he said in words or substance, he said something to the effect of, oh, he rolled his eyes and said, oh. I just, I, I'm so not into this. I don't, it's going to take too much time. I don't have time to do this. I don't want to sit there and read for hours. And then a light bulb went off in Sid's brain. And he says, why don't you do it? And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know if my my style is really what the Sid Rosenberg fan is looking for. And I said, well, maybe I could do it as you. Maybe I could do it with my admittedly rudimentary Sid Rosenberg impersonation. And Sid said, I love that idea. I love that idea. So since the book is not out yet, in spite of the fact that I have paid $28 to pre-order a copy, I looked for Sid's previous book, which I have somewhere at home, but my sister has arranged my books, not in alphabetical order, not in order by author, not in order by subject, but the book's... On my four bookshelves, are, five bookshelves, are arranged by color of the book. So I, from top to bottom, it's, color, it's, it's, it's the most ridiculous way of storing books in the world. And I didn't have time to look up what the color of Sid's previous book was. My intention was to bring in his previous book and see if I have the chops to be Sid Rosenberg in the audio form. Because that happens. Sometimes, you know, you have... Uh, I remember I re- I got the audio copy of William <clears throat> F. Buckley Jr.'s book. And I wanted William F. Buckley Jr.'s book because I expected him to be clearing his throat every <clears> throat> eight seconds. But instead, they had it read by Walter Cronkite. And Cronkite held his own. He did well. So I thought, since I don't have Sid's previous book, since my sister has totally... Ruined me for being able to find any of the books in my house. I thought, why don't I go through some of Sid Rosenberg's recent tweets? And if Sid kind of likes the sound of my version of Sid Rosenberg's literary voice, maybe I could be the voice of Citizens United, the audiobook. And so we're going to see how it goes. Ready? <clears throat> Now, again, I want to make clear, everything I'm reading is from, is written by Sid Rosenberg. It's not necessarily appearing in his book, but it's written by Sid Rosenberg. I'm sick of hearing about January 6th. The only story still worth discussing from that day was the cold-blooded murder of Ashley Babbitt. Ashley misspelled, by the way. When will there be hearings on the other 230 nights when cops were abused, cities were burning to the ground, and civilians were battered? So that's one Rosenberg tweet. Here's another one. Certainly disappointing after being up two to nothing in game three with a two nothing series lead, but it was still a great season for this very young New York Rangers team. Pretty obvious, with this goaltender and quality young offensive talent, this should be a very good team for many years. Nice run. I am a huge fan of this guy. Please vote for Joe Pignon in June, and let's get rid of that louse Chuck Schumer once and for all. Now, I don't think anyone told Sid that Joe Pignon is not up for election in June. He doesn't have a primary, and if you're voting for Joe in June, it will be for something other than the office that he's running for. Offered and agreed to my third movie role in less than 16 months on Friday. And yes, I play a tough mob guy again. Couple that with my character in Graves, And clearly, I've got myself a nice second career. Hashtag Citizens United. Wonderful dinner with uh, Republican gubernatorial hopeful Andrew Giuliani at Michael's Restaurant in Brooklyn last night. He's absolutely ready to fox our crumbling state. Most of the editors and commenters believe he probably meant fix. Primary is June 28th, so don't forget to vote. Get
19: Hochul out.
1: So uh, let me do one more here, and then I'll let you guys vote as to how I, how, I, how I would do doing the audio version of Citizens United. This is a tweet that features the back of his book, Citizens United. And the back of Citizens United with some great blurbs from some very talented people. The cover of Citizens United, I'm so proud of this book, will be in bookstores in August, but be sure to pre-order a copy today on Amazon. You'll love it. Promise. Last one, last one. We'll do one one last one here. Happy Memorial Day, America. God bless each and every one of you and our great nation. Hashtag Citizens United. Uh, I think I could pull it off. And again, I want to mention this audition was done with the approval of Sid Rosenberg. Lest anyone start sending your hate mail done with the approval of Sid Rosenberg uh, by the way, add, speaking of the debate last night, Andrew Giuliani will be on the Sid Rosenberg show today with Bernie McGurk, the Bernie and Sid show i don 't mean to step on bernie 's toes at all at eight forty that's just a that 's a late edition just add it all right eight hundred eight 800-848-9222. mark in Rochelle Park. Hello.
19: Hey, Frank, you're literally cracking me up. I tell you, it was a good effort, but i got to be honest with you. It sounded like a poor man's Christopher Walken imitation. Uh, so I don't know if, if that's going to go or not. I just – you made me laugh out loud driving my car this morning. So anyway, keep up the great work.
4: Uh, really? Christopher
1: Walken. Thank- All right, Mark, thank you. You know, look, different strokes for different folks. Um, I – I don't think that sounded like Christopher Walken. You know, Sid has more of a uh, Brooklyn accent, whereas Christopher Walken has sort of an Andrew Cuomo Queens accent. You know, I, I'm not going to try to do a Christopher a um, a uh, Christopher Walken a- accent because every, or uh, impersonation because everybody tries to do a Christopher Walken impersonation. By the way, if you have a differing view than Mark, you can weigh in as well. 800-848-9222. But... Um, Everyone does a Christopher Walken impersonation. So if I were to come out here and say, Hello, little man. Boy, I sure heard a bunch about you. See, I was a good friend of your dad's. We were in that Hanoi pit of hell together over five years. Hopefully, you'll never have to experience this yourself. But when two men are in a situation like me and your dad were, for as long as we were, you take on certain responsibilities of the other. If it had been me who had not made it, Major Coolidge would be talking to my son right now, Jim. But the way it turned out is I'm talking to you, Butch, and I got something for you. This watch I got here was first purchased by your great-grandfather during the First World War. It was brought in by a little general in general store in Knoxville, Tennessee, made by the first company to ever make wristwatches. Up till then, people just carried pocket watches. It was bought by private, though by Ernie Coolidge on the day he set sail for Paris. It was your great-grandfather's war watch, and he wore it every day he was in that war. When he had done his duty, he went home to your great-grandmother, took the watch off, put it in an old coffee can. And in that can it stayed until your granddad, Dane Coolidge, was called upon this country to go overseas and fight the Germans once again. This time they called it World War II. Your great-grandfather gave this watch to your granddad for good luck. Unfortunately, Dane's luck wasn't as good as his old man's. Dane was a Marine, and he was killed, along with the other Marines at the Battle of Wake Island. Your granddad was facing death. He knew it. None of those boys had any illusions about ever leaving that island alive. So three days before the Japanese took the island, your granddad asked a gunner on an Air Force transport name of Winaki, a man he'd never met before in his life, to deliver to his infant son, who he'd never seen in the flesh, his gold watch. Three days later, your granddad was dead, but Winaki kept his word. After the war was over, he paid a visit to your grandmother, delivering to your infant father his dad's gold watch. So I that that's my poor man's Christopher Walken. not the the other one is my best effort at um at uh whatchamacallit.
20: Sid. Sid Rhodes Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> I think I think your Walken was better than your Sid. Really? Yeah. Let's see I think I think your impersonation of Sid Rosenberg and Sid's impersonation of you would be the exact same impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right.
1: So, if I see, wouldn't that be fun? If I write an audiobook, have Sid do it as me. You know who does a good Frank Morano? And it's kind of become a caricature. Joe Borelli actually does a pretty good Frank Morano. Mm. So, I heard him on with Anthony Weiner over the weekend. Very good discussion. I was talking to John Katzimatidis about that. Over the uh, over the weekend, and uh, you want to talk about two smart guys that happen to disagree politically? It's Joe Borelli and uh, and Anthony Weiner. Larry is in Brooklyn. Larry, what's on your mind?
25: Yeah, I want to I want to comment on the earlier of, uh, about, the, about the gubernatorial debate. You know, I I'm, I'm a guy that I I stay far away from vaccines and everything mandates and all that stuff. But it just seems to me, and I could be wrong, that they, these idiots. May have gotten their mandates mixed up. It seems like they would they, they really should have been enforcing the mask mandate, but they couldn 't do that because how are you going to have a debate with a mask on right so instead, they brought in the vaccine mandate that's uh, because this, i mean this Kyrie Irving they made an exception for a basketball player and uh Right. Well, I, I want, want to be to very
1: clear, Larry. This this r- restriction from Channel 2 had nothing to do with any city or state law or federal law. This is something that Channel 2 implemented on their own. This was totally their decision.
25: Yes. So it does seem that, they, first of all, it does seem that they mixed up their mandates, and, and, and like mixing metaphors, so to speak. And I think that they purposely picked on uh, Andrew Giuliani because it's trendy to pick on anybody with a Giuliani name.
1: Yeah, well, some other callers raised that same possibility, Larry. Uh, Our producer, Alex Barnard, is here. Hello, Alex Barnard.
12: Yes, hello, Frank. You know, you were just saying that uh, Joe Borelli does a good impression of you, but I think my impression...
1: Is this it? Is this what I'm listening to? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. Give me 30 seconds. I won't interrupt. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side
0: of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. You know, it's funny. I love watching Star Trek. I'm a huge, huge fan of Captain James T. Kirk, but I've always found that uh, Leonard Nimoy was a much better actor than... I f- Why am I forgetting his bad. name right William now? Shatner. That's William Shatner. William
1: Shatner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what do we think, uh, Matt? I, I, you know, it wasn't that bad. He's got, you know, uh, in my opinion, he's got the uh, the the mannerisms down yeah. and and the pausing and the intonation. He's, I don't think he has the pitch. I think he's a little nervous. Well, it could be, and he's, you know, maybe he didn't have written material. Right. No. Yeah, I just, um, he I'm was just improvising of right now. Okay. All right. He's I riffing. It's not bad as a first effort. But uh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think you're in Joe Borelli territory yet personally. But All right. well, you maybe know. we should have a
20: Frank Morano riff off. What perhaps we should. I got to meet Joe sometime
12: and then I can we can compare it. Yeah, no, no. You
1: Joe you know, there's a lot of folks out there. There's a very in-demand impersonation. So, uh maybe we'll, we'll you know, we'll give we'll do we'll do a contest one Friday. We'll give every we'll give everyone an opportunity to do their best Frank Morano. Instead of ask Frank anything. Uh, no, it'll no, do no. an addition, addition <laughs> to Ask Frank Anything. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, I don't think I'm getting enough credit for this, uh, Sid Rosenberg audition. It wasn't bad. Yeah, it wasn't thank bad. Thank you. Uh, and your Frank Moreno's not bad. I was actually expecting much worse, I have to tell you. Well, thank but, you. But, no, I mean, but that was pretty good, I must say. Not bad. Okay. Um, how are things going in the world of, uh, associate producing?
12: Uh, they're going, they're going actually pretty well. Um, I am... Uh, you know, I'm just working hard on the early news, making sure everything is running smoothly around here for you, Dominic, Rita, Deb. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Man, you uh, are very, nothing if not versatile, Mr. Alex.
12: Well. I appreciate that, Frank. All
1: right. Thank you very much. 800-848-WABC. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds as part of 15 Seconds of Fame. And then uh, tomorrow, coming up on the other side of midnight, you know, I'm very excited. Ian Freeman is going to be here. I'm very much looking forward to this interview. Ian Freeman is a talk show host who is currently under federal indictment for i don't even understand what the crime the government is is charging him with but i've been i'm really interested in his case i learned about him for the first time at the Talkers Convention, because he was the recipient of the Freedom of Speech Award, so he's going to join me exclusively here tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that conversation very much. Fifteen Seconds of Fame is next. You want to be heard for fifteen seconds? Now's the time. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead.
0: WABC. I'm WABC.
10: The sun goes down
1: Ah, yes. Uh, The dulcet tones of Stevie G and the crazy Nakahamas with their hit song, The Other Side of Midnight, an instant classic if ever there was one. Hey, earlier I mentioned the great ratings we're doing. Once again, number one for the month of May. What I didn't mention is that uh, Inside Radio has a terrific article all about the success that we're having on uh, WABC Radio. Basically, how WABC got its groove back. And uh, it's a great article. And uh, I link to it on Twitter if you want to read it. Uh, at My Twitter is at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. And uh, I'm going to share it on uh, my Facebook page right now at uh, Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. The headline is... Um, How did Red Apple Media turn WABC into a winner again? And we are. And as the article says, this is one of radio's biggest comeback stories of 2022. This station that was nowhere in the ratings to now we're nipping at the heels of the top stations in the market. Not just AM stations either. I mean, in this time slot, we're number one, AM or FM. And if you look at um, what a lot of the other shows are doing, they're very... They're either number one, number two, they're right up there. So there's been a transformation. And I was glad that this Inside Radio article, and I want to give credit to the the writer, um, Rich Appel, this Inside Radio article gives a lot of credit and a lot of uh, ink to our president, Chad Lopez. Because a lot of times, Chad is sort of a humble guy, and he likes to let the talent shine and let the ownership shine. He doesn't like to take a lot of credit. But the truth is, Chad really has done a uh, terrific job in helping turn this radio station around. And he works at it tirelessly. You know, I, I, it's not unusual for me to see him when I leave here, five thirty, six 6 o'clock in the morning, and then get a call from him, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. He's working the whole day. So uh, he's a hard, hard, hard worker. So um, it is. Uh, it's great to see him getting some ink. And like I said, if you want to read that article, you can uh, go ahead and do so at uh, my Facebook page: facebook dot com slash morano fan. That's uh, facebook slash m o r a n o fan. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for fifteen seconds, to be precise. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 is our phone number. It's time for.
0: Other side of midnight. This is fifteen seconds of faith
1: Neil on Staten Island.
6: Public service announcement: If you're a Democrat, stay home election day. You've done enough damage to America.
1: Jim in Brooklyn. Good
6: morning, everybody. Hey, all your success for the station, Bernie, and Sid. Right down the line is so well deserved. You worked hard. Today is Flag Day. Fly your flag. It's also the birthday of the United States Army. You see a soldier, thank him for his service.
1: Also, President Trump's birthday. I'll mention that. Mike in New Jersey.
19: Good morning, Frank. A 12 hour flight from Hawaii with no deodorant. It's a good thing the passengers were masked up. However, they should have been wearing gas masks. Oof. uh.
1: Tommy in New Jersey. Little boy
25: walks into a bar, looks up at the bartender, says uh, trick or treat bartender looks down at the boy and says, trick or treat, who are you? He says, I'm a pirate. So the bartender says, you're a pirate? Where's your buccaneers? The little boy says, under my hat."
1: <laughs> Frankie and Glendale.
25: Ah, uh, the wind was taken out of my sail. I was going to remind people about Flag Day.
6: But, Anthony, you still owe me an apology. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing?
1: 800-848-9222. Troy on Long Island.
19: If you want to see a girl with nice boobs and a low-cut dress, look on Instagram.com slash Wall Street Growth. It's Instagram.com Wall Street Growth. Thank uh, you, John. Catch the Thank you, Troy. Uh, now, Troy
1: is blind. How is he going to know if a woman, a woman has any of those features? John in New Jersey. Oh,
16: yeah, Frank. <laughs> you have to smoke a doggy. <laughs>
1: Pete on Staten Island.
7: Hey, knocking them dead at the bagada. Having a good time. The place is
24: packed. It's like a Saturday. So, hey, keep on rocking in the free world. Love it.
1: And Bill in uh, Massapequa, a.k.a. Massa
24: Hey, what's up, Greg? Sid's a moron. Sid's a moron, Sid's a moron.
1: <laughs> I'm glad that we got uh, I, we got him in there before we ran out of time. All right, uh, coming up, you're going to hear the WABC early news from five to six. The Bernie and Sid show featuring Bo Deedle and uh, Andrew Giuliani from uh, from eight uh, from six until ten. I will be back at one a.m. With uh, we we got Peter Shore coming up. We're going to do a great discussion about mental illness tomorrow. Ian Freeman and I are going to talk about his arrest, and uh, Julia Daly is going to be here. Where she's an interesting lady. She is one of these people uh, who found essentially her biological parents through these DNA tests. So this is an issue that we've covered a lot, and I was really taken with her story. So if you're interested in the criminal justice system or mental illness or finding your parents, if they happen to be anonymous, tomorrow is a show that you're not going to want to miss. Meantime, if you missed any of today's show, be sure to listen to the podcast. You should be subscribing to the podcast. Just search the other side of Midnight on uh, Google Podcasts or iTunes or CastBox, whatever. Join the Facebook group if you want to comment on anything that transpired on this show today. Just search on Facebook, Moreno Radio Fans and Haters. You can always find the podcast as well at WABCradio.com. I will be back tomorrow morning at 1 a.m. Frank Moreno, good day.